Hello and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. This week we are here to talk about a gem. Uh, an absolutely interesting, fascinating, and bewildering piece of uh, cinematic history starring, at one point, 80s and 90s action superstar Bruce Willis. And that, of course, is 2021's Cosmic Sin, directed by Edward Drake. Joining me, as always, is my sister, Catherine. And this was my idea. I'm sorry. I inflicted this movie upon us. Um, that's okay. Uh, I'm okay <laughs> with it. Uh, so here to discuss a film, we, we were chatting in Discord, and we'd had a, a few ideas back and forth about a movie to check out, and, you know, a couple of classics, some things we'd been looking at for a while. And you, uh, or I should say your partner, had stumbled on this, this little gem uh, based on some online <laughs> discussion. Uh, so I'm going to let you sort of introduce our audience to a film that they may have heard about uh, in, in meme land. Uh, this film is being heavily memed at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, so what is Cosmic Sin? Cosmic Sin is uh, a movie, uh, sort of. Is it? It's, mm, it seems yes. to be at least video game mocap footage. I can uh, tell yes. you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, about... Yes, there are a lot of default visual effects yes. in this film. There's a lot of, hmm, um, yeah, that blue halo, that looks good. We'll Adobe go Premiere. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just felt, it, it feels very, um, it's, it's very, it's a video game. Like, it just, it felt like, uh, uh someone recorded a work in progress level in, and an Unreal Ed video game work in progress and it's just very awkward uh but it stars bruce willis it's a an alien invasion narrative um Mm -hmm. humans humans versus aliens aliens are the bad guys um are they though uh, well are they the true enemy is within (laughs) as always (laughs) yes this is a film that attempts to have quote-unquote themes and quote-unquote ideas uh, but uh mm. I'm not sure that works. Oh my not my sure at all. my husband brought this to my attention because we're both, you know, fans of Bruce Willis's good movies and a couple <laughs> of his stinkers. I mean, I have my my nostalgia for things like Hudson Hawk. Yeah, oh no. Um, you know, I I love a bad movie. Uh, but this movie apparently had some some very bad feedback. I'm not sure exactly what he read but he said i downloaded this terrible bruce willis movie we should watch it you know we like bruce willis we like to watch him do things it'll Mm -hmm. at least have that but you know this movie doesn't really even have that it does not uh bruce willis um so i'll i've done a lot of reading on this as i've you have i've dug into this this week i started a thing (laughs) because when you see something this epically misguided you kind of want to know how it happened. Mm. And, you know, number one, one of the reasons why, you know, we make this podcast not because we love dunking on movies. Dunking on movies is not that hard. Um, making movies is difficult. It is a colossal challenge. And and so any anybody who goes through the tremendous efforts required to produce a film deserves at least a little bit of props, right? Where it's like, hey, you did it. You made a thing. And that's really hard. But this film is one where you look at that and go, okay, yes, I know that, 
but how did this happen? <laughs> and and it's it's a shocking thing to see something that obviously had so much care and concern in its in its execution, at least at, at some level, to see it be so epically misguided and and bad, basically. So many because uh, this is a bad film, unequivocally. There yeah. is. We will not be recommending this film. <laughs> no, the only recommendation that can come out of this film is, as and as we discuss it, that will become obvious. Is do you want to watch a bad movie? Do you want to inflict <laughs> that upon yourself to find some sort of sadistic pleasure in seeing it and have and and being able to run that gauntlet? Are you a bit of a sicko? Like <laughs> yeah. Do you have some sort of like sadomasochistic tendencies where you're like, I love to torture myself. Um, terrible fucking movies (laughs) that's what this is man um it's it's a spectacle in that it's so bad you can't help but watch the train wreck right the train wreck itself is the show right the movie is secondary this movie is awful the story is bad the dialogue is bad the acting is bad Mm -hmm. but yet there is something magnetic about watching it because you go but how could this be? <laughs> how can this exist? Um, so yes, Cosmic Sin is an, an alien invasion narrative um, that feels incredibly beholden and to to many other films it's, that are far better than it, um, obviously. <laughs> but it's it tries to be a bunch of other things too, which is also part of the problem. Uh, so... I guess let's talk a little bit about Bruce Willis, uh, especially Bruce Willis's output in the last couple of years. Um, you know, again, this is one of the greatest action stars of the eighties, nineties. And I would even say into the early two thousands, he was doing good work. Um, I, I would say that his career for all intents and purposes ended with Looper. Looper seems like the last film he really even tried Maybe Glass, just a little, although Glass was not a great project at all. Just a bad idea. Yeah, I just, you know, I I enjoyed some pieces of it, but, you know, it was just not a a great film. But Looper's really the last one that felt like Ryan Johnson was able to get a performance out of Bruce Willis, where he was invested and he cared. Um, And since then, he's just kind of been fumbling around, doing your generic action schlock. but for the last two years, he's been doing almost exclusively direct-to-video, super low-rent, put-my-face-on-the-box material. And and this is one of those. Uh, but and, an exceptionally bad one of those. Because yeah. it's shooting for too much, right? We've talked before about films that... Well, even the last film we talked about, The Hidden, it's, it's a perfect balance of budget scope and and tone right like they just got that mix right right where it's like let's see we have this much money to tell this story in this way and they executed perfectly in most cases this one is we've got this much budget we've got this story that we want to tell that is way bigger than this budget can allow like way bigger than this budget can allow but we want to tell the story anyway so we are going to try and come up with a bunch of really straightforward tricks to let us accomplish that task. And then they get them all wrong. All of them. Uh, so it's it's an alien invasion story. Uh, it's set in 25 
46, which there is nothing about this film that will make you think it is set in 2546. Yeah. It looks like most of the props were purchased at Ikea. It looks like most of the special effects rolled off of your personal computer circa 2005. <clears throat> it reminds me of every video game that came out right after Halo. Because, like, let me mm-hmm. be clear, Halo is a great game. Yes. Um, it. And it's beautiful, and, like, that universe is beautiful, and it's really finely crafted. Like, most of us, most people, like, remember Halo as being, like, the, the you know, red versus blue memes at this point. But, like, it's actually sure. a really beautiful game. But mm-hmm. it inspired, like, 400 million clones that were just these drab, gray prefab assets, completely boring, default setting. Blech. And that's what this movie looks like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like a movie, though. I can't even think of a movie that this resembles. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's... Supposedly it was shot using uh, the new Sony Venice digital cameras, which I will say from a quality standpoint, like what is being shot here is not good, but what they're able to shoot in terms of lighting, most specifically, like the the, the lighting in this film is okay most of the time. It's very harsh. It's you know, again, kind it, of a fun color palette. Like it's very colorful mm-hmm. and, and yeah. saturated, which you don't see in a lot of sci-fi stuff. So I think I appreciate that. Kind right. Of. You know, there's there's some craft in it, um, but it's in the service of, of really not a lot. Uh, so let's, you know, we don't really have to talk much about the failure here because the failure of this film is total and complete. But the the Rotten Tomatoes score is exactly what you would expect. Uh, this has a, a 7% on the tomato meter. And I read through the positive reviews and they were not positive. They were slightly more positive, but really this film should have a zero on the tomato yeah. meter. Uh, because the only thing when it was sort of said, oh, this is okay are people saying, this is a B-movie, it's bad, you know it's going to be bad, watch it knowing that. That's what the positive reviews were. Yeah. Shockingly, somehow, and this feels <laughs> wrong, it has an 83% audience score, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. And, you know, you can look through those scores, and granted, it's Rotten Tomatoes, it, the system is gamed constantly, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to pick out one from the group here and... And just kind of give you the idea of the type of people who seem to be enjoying Cosmic Sin. Uh, it is refreshing. And this is from Gabriel F. on March 19th. It is refreshing to see a film where men are still men and women uh, don't do their jobs. What? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. How did you get that out of this movie? Of course, this doesn't go well down, go down well with woke critics and activists. But it is a pleasure to see how the director alternates slow parts with pure action and adrenaline. Oh, God. The characters are still normal people caught in a terrible situations and trying to do their part for humanity, knowing too well that in the end, if they make it, they will end up in their old joint with no respect or gratitude from their fellow citizens. Yeah, so that's the positive review. Everything else is either a half star or one star. So I have no idea how this film still has an 84%. And then the people who seem to enjoy it are like, it's entertaining because it's terrible. Like, it, I don't know. 
But yeah, so it's it's not good, and and that's pretty obvious that it's not good. But regardless, the the people who are the people who are are looking at this movie, I, I don't think they're really seeing the same film that we saw if they thought it was good because it's definitely not good. I I have this problem with movies like this and and hearing average people defend them because I you know I used to teach a film class mm-hmm. and one of the weirdest experiences was having them do the this initial assignment in the class this writing project where they would watch and sort of review not really review but just talk about a movie that they were really looking forward to watching and I expected you know big movies in theaters this was back when we could go to theaters mm-hmm. um and I didn't get that I didn't get like any movies in theaters I didn't get any movies that I had even heard of um <laughs> they were all those movies on Netflix that I just thought were title cards I didn't think that those corresponded to real movies. I didn't. I, I guess I thought when you clicked on them that just nothing would happen, or it would pop <laughs> up and say like, "You didn't think that was a real movie, did you?" Right. Um, but right. they are. They are these. They and they're these very, very low budget, quickly filmed, quickly put together and distributed pieces of media. I hesitate to even call them films because I don't feel like they are. And that's what this movie feels like. But it somehow mm-hmm. had Bruce Willis in it, which is why I think anyone is watching it at all. I would argue that even the incel who said that they loved it, I bet it's because Bruce Willis is in it. That's More gotta be likely. it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's not much other explanation for why anybody would even turn this on. But a lot um, of these movies have some kind of appeal to average people. Like there are people who go on Netflix and click on those fake movies. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk to you people who do that. <laughs> just get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> it's yeah. It, so let's let's go ahead and say so. This movie stars quote unquote Bruce Willis mm-hmm. and Frank Grillo. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Grillo, of course, played Crossbones in the MCU. He was in the Purge movies. He's done lots and lots of low budget things including uh beyond skyline which of course was skyline is really where these like super low budget sci-fi movies in single locations came from because that movie exploded and did way better than it deserved to do but he started in the skyline sequel and and you know he he's been around but i like him he's fun to watch he's great in the purge movies yeah, um, he didn't do anything real, wrong <laughs> no the real star of this movie the character that should be front and center on the box because they get more screen time than anybody is actually Brandon Thomas Lee, eh. uh, the son of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. Um, he is the main character of this film. Mm. All of the main characters of this film are not the people who are featured on this box, um, for obvious reasons. Because if you put Brandon Thomas Lee as the lead of this film, first billing, nobody's going to watch it. Nobody will even pay attention to it. But yet we we populate the film with some names, we get you to watch, and then those names show up for 10 minutes of the runtime, if that. I mean, Bruce Willis is in this more than I expected him to be, or at least 
what we're supposed to believe is Bruce Willis because there are a lot of times if you see a, if you behind. see Bruce Willis from behind that is <laughs> I don't not think Bruce that's Willis. A, that's a that bald another, guy. That is just another bald man that they found <laughs> to be Bruce Willis. Uh, his bald double, we'll call him. Um, but yeah, like he's the real star of this film. There's another like, what do they call her? A Q tech, quantum tech. Because man, this film is obsessed with the words quantum and tachyon. Oh my goodness. It's like more a more science episode, stuff around. It's like a season two episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a very generous insult. Yeah. <laughs> um so those are your real cast, right? So you you need to understand that Frank Grillo is gonna disappear from this film about twenty minutes in and then he's not gonna show up again until the end. Yeah. Um and and most of that was apparently shot in like a black room with him inside of some ridiculous suit. And we'll talk about the suits. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's, let's just jump in. This, this movie is uh, nightmarish in some of its approaches to things, but it is, it is something. Uh, it is an experience. And uh, as you said, it is an alien invasion film. So how does this film open? Where do we begin? Well, apart from the title card that gives us like the title cards of human history, the title cards are so long. The first thing that I have to point out is this is a Saban production. They, apparently, of, they at the very least they bought the distribution rights. Yeah, uh, which is the last of Mighty of Morphin Power Rangers fame, mm-hmm. which just is always a name that makes me happy to see. So yep, I was Saban. kind of excited when I when I saw that. Um, sure, but this this is an alien invasion movie that just sort of has a well it has a really long title card and then it's just um Bruce Willis in a suit in like a like a video game suit. Yeah, we actually get an in medias race opening that we don't have any context no, for. No, like there's yeah. there's my biggest pet peeve with the first I don't know 20 minutes of this film is that I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> and no. the movie goes out of its way not to tell me. And I love a good dangling mystery. I love to be kind of led, um, you know, with a carrot on a stick sometimes in a film. It's why I like Christopher Nolan movies. You know, everybody loves a little bit of a mystery, but it's like mm-hmm. we said with Tenet, you got to tell people something at some point. And this movie just launches into this very confusing sort of meandering. Like it was trying to be very exciting, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they try to open this in an exciting way because in films of limited budget like this one, I mean, you generally you, you have to be very, very careful about your action set pieces because you've only got so much money to film and you don't want to get caught without being able to complete one of them. So they're kind of trying to reuse a much later action beat to open the film and, and sort of establish that, you know, there's a conflict coming. And there's just no connection to it. You have like this this big, you know, launch in scene of like things crashing into the forest you get a little bit of bruce willis you have all of these weird title cards that are just telling you so many things that you don't understand (laughs) yeah and then the credits begin and the credits take all of that like initial action and intensity and just go and oh wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute we need to do a slow zoom on a planet while we spin around a lot We need we need to eat as much screen time as possible this film is 88 minutes long including credits if that gives you any insight it was nine hours yeah and it doesn't move quickly 
so the the basic backstory is that it's it's 2546 which again nothing in this film would indicate that it's the year 2546 it's just an arbitrary date <laughs> 500 years of human progress basically means that our jumpsuits have pockets on the legs still mm-hmm. so like it there's no there's no move forward in technology other than a few special effects sequences sequences of like big cities and there are a lot of led lamps around. though a lot of led yes. lamps <laughs> led has just rent has just changed the way that film lighting can happen and uh, we're going to put leds everywhere so what we're basically told is that earth began to colonize other worlds they went to mars first mars fell apart for reasons undisclosed so other colonies were set up one of them is called zafti which i think is just great yeah what a great colony name and then that there was a big war and bruce willis's character the blood general which Mm. okay um, he dropped what's called a Q-bomb, right? Which is like a black hole bomb on that colony and killed everybody and, and became known as this, this violent murderer, but not so violent of a murderer and, you know, killer of worlds that he was put in prison or anything. They just sort of slapped him on the wrist and said, don't do that again, but, you know, go away. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, he's, he's a bad man but not so bad anyway. And then as the slow zoom on the planet completes, we're introduced to some kind of mining colony. It's, it's a tent on a soundstage with a lot of led lights around. Is yep. It is. LED and lights. And, the, and there's, and there's blue and orange. Lots of, it's, it's a nice blue and orange movie. Yeah. It looks like it was constructed out of a lot of those party tents that you get at Walmart, you know, like the, the Ozark outdoors models yeah. and uh, you know, and they've got some other stuff. I knew we were in for something when I realized that their their costume department had decided that the way to make everything look futuristic was to put iPhones on their forearms in little holders, and that's yeah. how you know that it's spacey. And their iPhones that are they appear to be in otter boxes. Just, yes, it's just yeah, your standard just giant dad's really otter nice box. otter boxes. You know, they took the <laughs> belt clip off because it's on the arm instead of the belt, but it's it's still one of those. I like to carry this when I jog. <laughs> I mean, they're truly, truly incredible. I mean, they're the biggest, stupidest, clunkiest things to begin with. But, yeah. but you know, anyway. you combine it with a jumpsuit, it looks very futuristic. Very futuristic. <laughs> it looks like Stargate in 2002. And yet here we are because Stargate was set like in our current time. But whatever. And, and so on this colony, they're being assaulted by some kind of alien force, uh, which, again, are just people with two red LEDs stuck to their face mm-hmm. uh, and ensconced in shadow enough that you can't really, you know, tell. You know, alien invasion of some kind. And this seems to be a very big deal because we have never had first contact with another alien race. So there's a lot of uh, the, the, the term FC gets thrown around a lot. In yeah, this, they just start um, saying that. <laughs> and they don't establish that it means first contact <laughs> and, and what the protocol for that is. Had to catch up to that one a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so Frank Grillo is is introduced almost immediately in the film, right? So much so that you would think that he's like one of the leads of the film. And he's some kind of general, of course. He's being told, hey, there's there's been a first contact incident. And he's the one that says, find me James Ford. Uh, which is Bruce Willis's character. And we don't know why or, or what purpose James Ford is going to, to serve in doing this. 
especially if he is the blood general who murdered thousands of people uh, or hundreds of thousands, who knows. But it's really, it's just Frank Grillo being shot in the front of a Ford F-150. <laughs> That's all it is. Man. Yeah. Like there's no attempt to hide it. There's no attempt to make that, that any, to make it anything else. It's just him in the front of a 2015 Ford F-150 with a couple of extra lights on the top. And, and he is, is on the side of the road. So then we um, smash cut. Uh, go ahead, please. Well, the the thing that struck me is this movie does do a few things pretty obviously. Like the little transition from our, our initial like, oh, no, an alien invasion mm-hmm. um, where she's shooting them in the tent. Uh, did you like did you see that obvious? Just blatantly obvious Blade Runner shot of the city. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like those, yeah, we get a, a nice wide shot of the city, and there's just, you know buildings on top of buildings, and there's and like this, a ship this, flying. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm to- I love when movies reference other movies. I love that. I love that. But in mm. this, it feels, this movie feels very much like those are artificial. Like they yes. don't have any place mm-hmm. in this movie. I don't really understand why a, a nod to Blade Runner would be in this movie. And that's what? part of the issue. Is that <laughs> all of the visual effects work is is separated from the in-camera work. There's nothing yeah. in camera that supports the VFX that were being shown. They're, exactly. They're it's just like this completely weird, interstitial shots. It's this weird disassociation. It's freaking me out. <laughs> yeah, the, the only thing is, because the next scene is, is Bruce Willis's character walking into some local bar to meet with a contact, wherein Bruce Willis proceeds to do literally nothing. Yeah, it's this super long the shot. Where it's like, okay, why are I? I have a problem with my movies. Do a long shot, and they have no reason for it. Mm-hmm. They do the Goodfellas yeah. thing, and it's like, no, no, yes. don't do that unless you have a reason to do it. Otherwise, you're just right. filming the back of a bald man's head. Yes, and as it is he definitely walks not Bruce Willis through a bar. <laughs> um, so they're in a bar it, again. It, it's not a bar. It's it's a, a barn that they've redressed. Uh, very very quickly a bar to be a a bar and the only thing that would let you know that it's it's a space bar that it's a future bar (laughs) is there is a really badly constructed robot with an emoji on its face Uh (laughs) serving drinks and that's that's how you know oh it's a space bar you want some more um it's it's i'm sorry that was a better movie i shouldn't quote better movies (laughs) um it's so Really, this is our, our, our kickoff event. It's our inciting event. We're introducing Bruce Willis, who comes in, sits down, and says nothing for the first five minutes of the film. Just un- disconnected reaction shots. I, I, again, I'm not sure that Willis is actually in most of these scenes. If he's not seen he looks from lost. the front, I don't think it's him. And he he's not really seemingly giving given any specific lines that he needs to say most of them are just reacting to other actors who are delivering lines what's hilarious is that you know last episode we talked about you know what would it what would a movie of kevin costner reaction shots interspersed with other actors <laughs> like? and that's what this movie is with bruce willis that's yeah. what this is is well, this is other actors saying important plot driven dialogue and bruce willis turning and being like what do you mean Right, like that kind of stuff. It's it, remarkable. This this sounds. All of his reaction shots 
reminded me of when we used to take our grandma who had Alzheimer's out to lunch and she like kind of didn't know what was going on. (laughs) So she would just smile and nod and kind of sort of react, but she didn't really know how to react to anything. And I felt like he was so disconnected and so removed. That's what it felt like. It felt like having lunch with grandma and she's losing her memory. And I, I just, it was, it was surreal. It added some touch of surreality to this scene, I guess. Um, but I, I don't feel positive about it. I don't feel like, like that was a good thing. No. And, and the more that I've watched this, cause I have gone through it a couple more times, just very quickly. Um, like any scene where you do not see Bruce Willis's face in direct lighting, it is not Bruce Willis. It can't. It is another bald person. It's, who or it's is like a 3d head scan of Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, it's not him. And, I, you know, we, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. I think Bruce Willis is just at the stage of his career. He's got like young kids again. He got remarried and, and I think he just doesn't really want to work. I mean, mo- shooting movies is, is really difficult and, and, and that's more than right? you're gone and for months, you know, I don't blame actors for, for going, you know, they, they call it phoning it in, but I would call it just, you know, working for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, maybe think that you should be paid quite so much for roles like this, but Hey, you know, it's not my money. It's not my project. It's not, it's not my movie. Um, so I, I don't fault Bruce Willis at all. I still love his movies. I'll still watch movies that he's in, unfortunately buying into the system and, and perpetuating this kind of trash. But I do, I do think he's a talented actor when he gives a crap, but he just didn't hear yeah, he just doesn't. So, I mean, really, basically, the the architecture of this this story, quote unquote, is that they've made first contact, and now they have decided to enact a protocol, which we are quickly introduced to, called cosmic sin, which is the belief that when two sufficiently advanced races make first contact, that one of those races is going to have to immediately become genocidal in order to survive that there is no harmonic balance that can be struck between these two forces and that they must immediately go to war. And the first one to strike and win is, is the only one that's going to make it. That's like the whole concept here, which at its core, I mean, it's something we've seen played out in science fiction novels for a long time. Exactly. But they Um, build it up like it's such a big deal. Yes. But it's a very simple, like very old concept in science fiction. So I don't know why the movie kind of approaches it as though it's groundbreaking. It's it's sort of the delusion of, of writing your own worlds. You kind of become <laughs> obsessed with the concept that what you're writing about is really, truly original. Whereas if you really sort of break down the mechanics of this story, this is a story we've seen hundreds and hundreds of times play out for lots of different stories. I guess that's um, why I write poetry. <laughs> one one the director mentioned in an interview that I read was uh, Shishin Liu's uh, The Three-Body Problem, which I've read. It's a brilliant <laughs> yeah. book. It's, it's like one of the best science fiction books ever written. And, and at its core is this concept of two alien races sort of clashing. And that basically there, there had been a secret war between us and another race that we didn't even realize was happening because they are so far advanced than us. 
Right. We didn't even realize what was going on and we were being dominated without our knowledge. And and the person who discovered it and figured it out was basically, you know, just beaten into the dirt because we don't want the world to know what's going on. So again, I, I totally see where their inspirations are coming from. 100% get it. This ain't that. So this this idea here is that they're going to create another Q-bomb, which apparently they're very simple to manufacture. It just takes about 15 minutes in a nondescript warehouse in downtown Georgia. But it is and, a really big deal, and we should talk about it for a long time. A long time. We've got a lot of screen time to eat up here, guys. We need a lot of explanations of what this is. We need some interesting-looking equipment to manufacture. Q-bomb that tachyon your face. <laughs> tachyon this. Q-bomb that. Um, so let's let's fill out our supporting cast here. Um, another sort of, I, I guess I'll call him a main actor in this film is our our good friend from the B movie scene, uh, one Mr. Costas Mandalore. <laughs> uh, and Costas has been around a long time. He really has. He's in everything. Uh, he's been in everything, good and bad. Uh, I yep. think. He's probably best known now for the latter Saw's film, uh, Saw films. He was was one of the you know acolytes of Jigsaw in those, and and he did fine, you know certainly not terrible, uh, but he really gets. Uh, I would say of all of the characters who have speaking lines in this, he probably has the most, especially on the front end of the film. Like he is talking constantly. He also does not know how to wear a beret, um, because if, I don't know if you noticed this or not. I mean, not that I'm a huge like beret hey man mm. what's wrong with your beret you know like, I don't you're not making this look cool you're not wearing <laughs> that beret correctly sir but his 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 uh, right ear is covered by the beret for pretty much all of the time he's on screen and, and if you wear a beret you're not supposed to cover your ears with yeah. the beret they sit just they're more of a decorative hat it's a decorative hat it's it's literally just a it's 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 an accoutrement, right? It's not really functional. Um, for the last he, word on berets, go ahead and take a look at Kurt Russell anytime he puts on a beret. That is the correct beret usage, absolutely. Um, so Casas Mandalore is in here. He plays a, a lieutenant general or something, another you know high-ranking military officer who's actually putting this team together because there's so much that gets skipped. But basically they're saying we want to send an elite strike force, some secret group in. Or something. Or something to deliver this Q bomb and just wipe out this alien race before we can we can even let this war begin. But then the war begins, I guess, because when they show up, they're actually openly fighting with another. Yeah, like one I'm of kind these. of confused on what happened in between there. <laughs> yeah, like there's it almost seems like 20 minutes of this film they had some stuff planned for like the aliens to show up and actually start fighting, and they just cut all that stuff out. But in any case, they, they're going to, to enact this cosmic sin. We get introduced to a, uh, I, I guess, the scientist character of the film. You know, like, we, you got to have one, I suppose. Um, and then she is the one who came up with this when she was in graduate school or something. Like, she wrote the paper about the cosmic sin protocol, which just makes me think of Sphere, where, you know, Dustin Hoffman's character is brought in because like back in college he took a thousand dollars from the government to write a paper about what we do when aliens showed up and then they like come get him out of his private practice 30 years later because they're like hey you wrote this thing he's like as a joke you appear to be I was the only smart man in the world we need your help 
yeah, but so she she shows up and and then we're I guess we're supposed to understand without a whole lot of information that she and Bruce Willis used to be together. That wow. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, really, there's nothing there because when they when he walks into the room and she's there, he just goes, oh, shit. And then she's like, oh, what's he doing here? And I thought like, maybe they were like, like uh, old buddies or right. maybe I they mean, hated each other. Or... I mean, they call him the blood general. Like, yeah. It's like, so maybe she's just aware of him and doesn't care for him very much. But no, apparently they, they used to be husband and wife and she left him, I, I guess, the murder of an entire, of an entire, you know, chunk of that the solar really system. That was really the final that was, Yeah, she was know. like, you know. I think I'm done with you, Bruce Willis. I don't think we can be together anymore. You know, I'm okay with you murdering dozens of people, maybe even hundreds, but thousands. Well, that's where I draw the line. The massacre was bad, but it was really his his terrible, terrible hygiene. <laughs> that's right. He just he stopped really keeping up with his. You just his, don't take uh, care of your head shaving. Anymore. You know, where's the blood he... general I married? <laughs> <laughs> So then we just get a whole bunch of like nondescript scenes. We're introduced to our Q Tech, um, played by another, you know. I I live in Vancouver and am available <laughs> actor. Yeah. Uh, apparently, her biggest claim to fame was she was on uh, Power Rangers RPM for a while. Uh, so you know what have you? Also in the Purge films, I think. But uh, in any case, she's our Q Tech. She's got to put the bomb together. And then they're going to fly to this other solar system. And and here's where we get introduced to one of my biggest, one of my biggest issues with this film. And that are these spacesuits. Uh, there's a whole bunch of work that they try to do to establish the characters. It doesn't go anywhere at all. Would you agree? Like, none of the character work that they attempt to do in this film actually accomplishes anything. I... Like, wouldn't even say that there are characters in this story. <laughs> I mean, there are avatars. There are concepts, archetypes. Like the it, the um, I'm just gonna call him Tommy Lee Jr. Uh, so Tommy Lee Jr. is is in the film, and he we're introduced to him because he's smoking behind the line, whatever that means. And, and uh, what's that? The other like guy that I know from this thing is Lachlan Monroe. Is that his name? Uh, he plays like some sergeant. He's he's been on like a bunch of like. He's the stuff. guy with the face. He's in everything. Too. <laughs> there yeah, are a lot of every. Of those... Yeah. Guy, definitely. he's all he's in all the things. Of course, he's in the movie where you pick up space guns and shoot stuff. He's on all kinds of TV shows. He's been on Riverdale. He's he again. He's one of those guys that just does guest spots on TV shows constantly. He's been around forever. Like I said, I like him. I, yeah, I no, think he's he's, good. A, he's one of the he's better. He's one of the better actors in this film. He actually has some some interesting lines. He has facial he expressions. with his face, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, wow, look at that guy. He actually Dude seems has somewhat invested in what's going on. <laughs> but so he yells I mean, it to Tommy Lee Jr. for smoking, and we're introduced to him. His name, his name Braxton. I don't even know. Uh, yes, it's Braxton. Braxton Ryle. Ugh. Science fiction so, name. That's, that is That is your... <laughs> Secret young adult NaNoWriMo project name. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm doing young adult fiction about a futuristic soldier named Braxton Ryle. Braxton Ryle. Junior. The third. I'm going to release it on December 1st when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. NaNoWriMo. I love you. I'm not even going to let anybody read it. I'm just going to put it on Wattpad <laughs> after it's out and everybody's going to love it. 
so the you know we get a little bit of background we know that ryle is related to frank Grillo's character it's like his nephew or something and you know there's the somebody when they were sitting in the room breaking the story over whatever cursed weekend they were staying in a hotel a lot just, of four loco yeah <laughs> like they tried to build relationships between these characters but then they do such a terrible job of establishing these the characters themselves number one but then why these relationships matter that it's pointless right like the big emotional beat of this film is when frank grillo's character sacrifices himself to save people somehow and like his his nephew braxton gets so angry about it that is his loss that he just goes and beats the crap out of some random alien that we've been fighting for the last yeah. 20 minutes and that's supposed to be like the big like ah oh, we did it you know kind of thing and it, it's just not good and the the characters are so badly drawn that we can't get behind them for anything i would rather watch zachary quinto beat the shit out of benedict cumberbatch again no then then don't watch that far. no you calm down <laughs> That's the we don't need to we don't need to go that far. Nobody needs to watch that again. Um, and then it's only Uhura who can bring him back from the brink. That relationship matters. So okay. So the 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 people from the mining colony that had the first contact with the aliens are brought in to this random Georgian warehouse. And lo and behold, <laughs> they're, they're not okay, right? So here we, we switch into the zombie portion of the film, mm. uh, which, you know, this, this particular directing team said, okay, well, how do we have a zombie portion? Well, we need a lot of red LED lighting covering everything so that our blood effects don't have to be good because everything's already red. <laughs> and, and then we need some people who have, sort of zombie-like qualities, but are also capable of, like, shooting guns and doing martial arts. It's it's really quite exceptional. So the ship lands, and this was where I got truly, truly pissed at this movie. Their, their spaceship lands to bring these people in for whatever they're going to do to them, put them in quarantine, even though they just march them through a facility full of people before they get to quarantine. A movie that ship... apes other movies this hard, including a Ridley Scott movie, and yet does not observe basic rules of quarantine, a la Alien, another Ridley Scott movie. Exa yeah, totally. It's it's a thing. It's totally a thing. It's the thing that, that the new Alien movies get bagged on for constantly is because basic scientific protocols would mean you would never expose individuals to somebody who had some kind of obvious disease without Yeah, they, like, they obviously look like diseased zombies. Like, they come do. on. And so... But did you notice the name of the ship? The ship is the Vandermeer, which is an obvious reference to Jeff Vandermeer, yeah. writer of Annihilation. Yeah. And that um, pissed me off. The moment I saw it, I was like, oh, no. Oh, again, no. Like, movie. why is this movie telling us to mm, go mm. and look at better movies? Yeah, like. Like, no, you don't get to say you're taking inspiration from Jeff Vandermeer and his alien, like, invasion story. Because his alien invasion story is good. Yeah. Yours is not. Yeah. 
But regardless, so the whole purpose, right? So I just want to examine the mechanics of what have happened, of what has happened here. Nothing. So, <laughs> yes, nothing. So the people were on this like distant planet colony, whatever. Okay, they they encounter the aliens. Someone went and got them, right? They did not come of their own volition. Someone went and got them and brought them back to Earth. Okay. Problem number one, why would you ever bring them all the way back to Earth? There's zero purpose in doing that. You can study them just as well on the planet that they're on and have fewer risk of contamination than putting them on a ship and bringing them all the way back. But somebody went and got them, brought them back. The ship lands. They bring the zombies in. The zombies go into zombie mode, start killing people, both physically and with guns, because they're not truly zombies. They're being controlled, dominated by something in their blood. One of them vomits up a thing that glows and goes on the ground. And we find out that that's sending out some kind of pulse. It's, it's a tracking system. Okay. So the whole idea behind this is that these zombies allowed themselves to be taken on a ship in the hopes that they would be taken back to the main planet that we live on so that one of them could vomit up a tracking device. And then they immediately try to go back to the ship that they came in on to escape. So what would have prevented the person from when the ship landed? Because nobody's guarding them. Nobody's making sure that they're not doing anything weird. If their goal is to get back to the ship, why don't they just walk off the ship, vomit up the tracking device, and then just turn around? <laughs> why go through all these mechanics of like getting into the base? And like, it just, it makes no sense yeah. when you really think about what these characters are doing. And I, I don't know, man. It, it well, just, it's, it's so dumb. The IKEA, I, I harped on the, the video game thing at the beginning, but this really does feel like a poorly designed level. Like these people are just moving through a level to get to the next part where they find a key that will open a door. Mm -hmm. It's so procedural. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the A, then B, then C, then D, then E method then, of storytelling. And There's like no motivation. Nothing. It's just that's serviceable. That's a really that's a really you know fine thing to do in a in a plot driven film. But like there has to also be the plot, and mm -hmm. this is what happens when there's no plot. <laughs> right. I mean, there just is nothing to speak of. So then, I guess we're supposed to believe that the scientist lady is fascinated by them. That she's she's somehow enthralled by what they're doing. Give um, me a break. Even though she's murdering everybody <laughs> around them. Just. Or, and, I mean, she's, like, fighting them, but she doesn't seem especially excited about it, right? She's like, ah, oh, why do we have to fight, you know? So that's one of the major things that this film really tries to establish, is this, should we be immediately fighting this alien race, or should we be trying to find some common ground? But it's a theme that gets so fully and completely dropped that it's basically pointless. Like, there's there's no reason to even explore it, because this movie is nothing but violence from the ground up. To begin, and all that's going to happen is at the end of this, an alien is going to actually say words will come out of their mouth. They say, "We never wanted peace in the first place," which is like, uh. "Oh, good. Now, we, well, at least you've just fully justified why we're about to annihilate you." Um. So, I mean, 
I don't even I don't even think this film is worth discussing thematically. There's nothing thematically going on here, and whatever yeah. they were attempting to do, they just immediately subvert, and it becomes a narrative of these are the baddies over there, yeah. the ones with the the shit on their face. Um, they're the yeah. baddies. Because that's their one defining feature. Is they have shit, shit on, on their face. face. Yeah, just constantly have shit on their that's face. How you can tell them apart. That's right. We didn't have a makeup budget, but we can put black shoe polish on your face. And God help you enough. if you get something on your face and you're not one of them, though, because they'll shoot you. That's true. That's very true. I mean, there's no holds barred here. <laughs> um, so we're 30 minutes in, almost to the minute when a character finally says the words cosmic sin, which I feel is intentional. Like, like the, the first act closes with a character saying cosmic sin. And, you know, you just want to have the ding, ding, ding go in the background. It's like, here's the title of the movie, everybody. We, we did, did it. it. We got here. We got to this place. Um, again, I want to point out that Bruce Willis at no point in most of these scenes is actually featured in a shot with another one of these actors. Like this is a this is an around the table scene, right, where all these characters are supposed to be sitting around a table having a conversation about what they're going to do next. And at no point is Bruce Willis featured in a shot with any of them. All of them are individual shots with him at the front of the table asking vague questions in response to things that the other characters are saying. And it is so shockingly obvious that he is not a part of these shots. I mean, he wasn't there for coverage. He's not there to deliver lines off camera so that these people can respond. He is literally just looking from left and then occasionally to the right and then saying, hmm, what? I don't know about that. That seems. I mean, it's I kind of like, half expected oh him to gosh, have earbuds dude. in, like he would. Just, yeah. Like he wouldn't even be really listening. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think he's listening. I don't think. I think he's being fed a line. He's being told, "Look to the left, say say this. Look to the right, say this." And then they just figured it out in post. They just figured yeah. it out in the edit how they could stitch it all together because he delivers no lines of significant plot weight. Some of them felt like they could have been ad-libs where it's like, hey, just react sort of like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that the, you know, the the scientist lady might have been feeding him lines off screen or something, but he's not in any of these shots. Like, I feel bad for Frank Grillo because Frank Grillo is is a legit actor. Like, he's been in big stuff. He's done cool things. And I know that he is not actually featured in a scene with Bruce Willis in this entire film. Like, I don't think they spoke to each other. (laughs) in this whole movie and he has second billing with bruce willis in this film and i don't think they ever shared a scene together and that is so sad like i feel bad for him you know maybe i'm wrong right maybe i'm completely wrong here but like none of the because they do a couple like the close the tight over the shoulder shots where you just see him in profile willis's character and it's not willis it's obvious that it's not willis yeah. You know, it's just Frank Grillo looking at whatever, like, you know, I, I'm guessing at this point that Bruce Willis has like a bald body double that he just takes <laughs> around with him. Somebody uh, he's hey, worked with for decades this, now. Exactly. This is Steve. He, we're about the same size. He has the same hairstyle as me. Well, I mean, you know, if you need a shot, and stuff. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a thing that's done. Like, it's not necessarily strange. Like, um, oh, who was it talking about the other day? I think um, Jeff Bridges has had like a body double slash stand in that he's worked with for decades, right? He's just been, they've, they've aged together. Schwarzenegger they have, they, has a guy that he works with. Yeah. You know, consistently it's, a, over the years. it's a super common thing, but I mean, quite literally, if Bruce Willis's face is not to the camera in this, it's that guy. 
<laughs> so I'm like, why didn't that guy get top billing? Because he's in this movie more than Bruce Willis is. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, even there's there's a shot right as Grillo and, and Braxton, whatever his name is, are about mm. to have a scene together, and he's begging to go to war to prove himself, you know, this totally surface-level, absolutely ridiculous man got to prove himself a man, you know, bullshit that we see in these these kind of... I mean, it's the shit that Starship Troopers makes fun of successfully, right? Like, that's the thing. It's like, this movie is what Starship Troopers is mocking for its entire runtime, but this movie doesn't get that that was a joke. Yeah. Right? Like, this that's is, what this movie is. This is unironic Starship Troopers. Yes. And and so this guy wants to go to war, and Grillo is like, no, your, uh, your mom would kill me. She'd never allow it. And then he's like, that's ah, fine. <laughs> Yeah, just go to war. It's all good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, the, and the the flip literally happens in less than ten seconds. Um, I, again, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, it's the plot in this is barely worth talking about. It's worth talking about because it's so bad, but it's nonsensical, and it, it really ultimately is meaningless. But now let's talk about because it's around this time in the film that we are introduced to. The suits. Oh boy. Um, okay. I I love practical effects, right? Real oh. live suits that the characters put on and run around in are wonderful. And anytime you can have that, I will prefer it to a CG thing. Anytime. One of the the greatest travesties of the MCU for me is the fact that Robert Downey Jr. was so uninvested in playing Iron Man for the last, like, four movies that he's in as Iron Man that they didn't do any practical suit work, right? The first Iron Man, the reason that movie looks good and why Iron Man is the most... Re I'm going to use the term realistic here, knowing full well that there's nothing realistic about Iron Man. He looks the best and he looks the most real in that film because most of the suit was real. Right, the hands oftentimes were CG just so he, they could do the, the specific finger movements without being clunky. The mask, of course, they CG'd some stuff on so that the helmet could come on and off. Whatever, but like most of that suit was practical. Okay. And then, of course, as we go further into the MCU, the suits get more svelte, and eventually, it's just a CG thing, right? And and you can see Iron Man go into CG mode, which is fine. So I, I love practical suits, and they really think that these suits look good it's obvious they that they think that they look good and they, they do, not. do not look good um okay so you're familiar with thingiverse right mm -hmm. it's like the online repository for 3d printed stuff mm -hmm. this movie looks like a bunch of master chief armor that you would pull off of thingiverse and then print it and use it as like a mold shape Right. Like a buck. And then they vacuum formed off the top of that. Because this stuff is obviously vacuum formed. Um, yeah. You can see, Very the, you can how. see the seams. <laughs> um, again, I'm sure and, their budget for this was nothing. So I get it. Right. Like, and like nothing it. against uh, anyone who tries to make any of that stuff. Whether, whether you're making, you know, 3D models of, of armor and slapping them on someone with a computer, or if you're, you know, making actual physical vacuum form plastic pieces and like foam mm -hmm. armor yeah. 
it doesn't matter. I admire people who make props. I think it's one of the coolest jobs in the world. And I admire people who do all that computer wizardry too, even though you did sort of ruin movies. Just it's, yes. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit of ruin going on. I'm just on. picking yeah. I'm just picking on you. I'm just picking on you. Um, this, this was just not work that seemed to be done lovingly. Nothing yeah. about this felt very crafted or bespoke or or special. Like the reason that you know people talk about the the armor and the way that the characters looked in movies like Aliens is that everything about the armor that they wore was very bespoke. Uh, again, reflection on James Cameron. Um, but yeah. that that was quality prop work, not because the people who made the props were just like legends or something they were mm -hmm. but it was more that they just put a lot of time and care and attention and everything about this just feels so rushed it's slapdash like, exactly. like we're just gonna spray paint these in a garage and then <laughs> we're done <laughs> i mean if if i was making a movie with my buds right we had weekends and we had maybe like five thousand dollars that we had cobbled together to get some equipment i would be really really proud of those suits if that's what we were able to create right i would be like these are awesome for what we've we've had to invest this movie is is trying very desperately to be a step above that and it just is not there again most of the stuff is just straight up Master Chief armor. But the thing that kills me about it is that they're just like, they're just like wearing shirts underneath <laughs> it. They're just shirts. This is my Gap t-shirt. Right. I mean, like, it looks like the prop master went to Target if Target had, like, a tactical bodysuit section and just grabbed the off-the-rack stuff. And I, I don't... And they just blow right by it. Right? And, like, Bruce Willis... I... Bruce Willis is wearing the same shirt that he was wearing when the film started when they put him in the armor. Yeah. It's the same. And I'm like, what, what, how is that possible? How can you just, how can you just put on it, put it on over a shirt? How's that protective? And, and I guess they established a little bit later that there's some kind of like shielding that comes down over it or something, which is really just a bad some CG kind of effect. Force field. But I mean, like, dude, it's at least just put it in in like some kind of black bodysuit that's that's got some ribs in it or something to just make me feel like it's some kind of soft Look armor. Get some scuba gear. You know? uh, anything, man. Like one of those neoprene suits. <laughs> that that would feel a little more futuristic, wouldn't it? I mean, and that's that's a huge part of the issue as well. Is that. You know, again, well, let's go back to the James Cameron well since you brought it up. Okay. So, like, obviously, Aliens is supposed to be taking place in, like, you know, what, 2117, something like that. Yeah. You know, some arbitrary date in the future, which the movie doesn't stress about because it knows it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't make a difference anyway. <laughs> Who cares if it's 2552 versus 2252? What difference does it make? And, but, like, okay, so James Cameron was like, people are still going to be wearing suits. I mean, people are still going to be wearing t shirts. People are still going to be wearing jeans. Right. And science fiction had done this very well for a long time at this point. Cameron, I think, just put yeah. a bow in that that concept. I mean, the whole I mean, that was what worked about Alien as well. It's like Aliens I mean, has some. I got a Hawaiian shirt on design. here. Right. But yet you look at their shoes. 
Oh, those are a little bit more high tech. They got some stuff on them, right? Oh, they're jumpsuits. My my favorite ever... costume detail in Aliens is the upturned collar on suit mm-hmm. jackets. Yep. Just the teeniest, just tiniest little thing. Change. The yeah. suits don't change because men's suits don't change. Like just as a rule, they're kind of always the same. But the lapel size changes, the pocket style changes, or people start wearing their collars turned up. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a teeny tiny little detail, and and again, lovingly crafted. Right, thought just thought. Just somebody planned that. Like, wouldn't don't you think that men suits, corporate suits in the future would would do something a little spicy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one detail about Alien in specific that I think is really cool is because like an Alien, like Ripley. Ripley's one of the only ones that's still wearing her flight suit. Right, which is yeah. a very specific character detail on Ripley's part. Most of them have dropped that stuff off, or they wear it half on, half off. But she's the one that's still wearing her like actual. That's why she's the final girl. That's right, because she had her guard up the whole time. She's the rule <laughs> follower, you know. But if you ever look at that flight suit, it's not just a jumpsuit that you went and grabbed from you know the local mechanics store. It's no. a completely bespoke, absolutely one hundred percent made. And if you look at the back of it, it's laced like a corset. Right? Because it has to be fitted so you can get in and out of your, your space suit. Exactly. It ha- it's got to be form-fitting. And so, like, that little detail is enough to make me say, okay, that's not just a jumpsuit. That's a yeah. future jumpsuit that's made specifically to, to meet a, you know, a specific purpose. And this movie doesn't really get that, right? It's just all this black tactical gear that you get at the Army Surplus store, and we're just hoping it's, that people don't pay attention. And It's, it's like the, it's the tack light infomercials. Have you seen any of those? Oh, yeah. Love the tech like commercials. <laughs> I mean, this feels like one extended, like, alternate universe futuristic tech like commercial. <laughs> this beam can be seen for four nautical miles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I have so... expected him to show up. The tech like guy. <laughs> yeah, man, why not? He, he's a, pretended to be a Navy SEAL for the last oh, five God. years. He can pretend to be a Navy <laughs> SEAL for this movie. So, I mean, the suits are bad. They're they're basically just these skeletal oversuits. They don't look like they would protect you from anything. And, and shockingly, they end up not. I mean, like, these characters get shot constantly and nothing happens. They've got little LED lights on them. They're loosely strung together. They've got little plates that just get stuck onto the arms. It It doesn't seem like real tactical armor of any kind. I would almost wish that they would have gone for a sort of lower fi. Again, it's all about meeting what you can meet in the budget that you've got. Finding the balance between what we can afford and the story we're trying to tell. And this movie Alien is just shooting truckers. way over the top. You know, the reason that the, the single set movie with Alien worked is that they were space truckers. And it was just people in jumpsuits and regular space suits. And it was, it was working with what they had. Mm-hmm. This, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm I'm looking I'm I'm actually looking at the the suits right now and the just so many little fake bolts and screws. Yeah. And and pads. And they're and, all obviously and... built off the same template, which I don't have a problem with cuz if they're military issue, they would be built off the same template. They're repainted differently, you know, Ford's is supposed to be kind of old and beat up. Which again, why would you keep a soldier who's been kicked out of the military. I mean, they, they jokingly say, oh, oh, well, they didn't know what to do with it, you know, because it stunk or something. But, like, 
if this is supposed to be the real military, if you are kicked out of said military, your armor is either going to be repurposed for somebody else or it's going to be destroyed, right? Like they're not just going to keep it around. And so like, okay, I get what you're doing here in terms of like, you know, the old soldier putting his armor back on and all that. Like I, I understand, but this is ridiculous. But that whole scene looks like a loading splash screen for a really bad live service game. <laughs> just just really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like you can there are a couple of extended scenes here where it seems like Bruce Willis is actually being act to ask, asked to act against another character. Um, mostly like the ex, the ex-wife, and there is a scene where she sort of touches his shoulder, and you can see the pad just kind of go like bink, <laughs> it just bounces. Like this armor is supposed to be like super heavy, and she just sort of brushes it, and it just kind of pops. It's, it's just ridiculous, man. Like it's just so so dumb. I like crop that scene so I can't see it. I I don't know that that kind of stuff just it, really. The things that were left mm. in this movie feel like the not even b-roll this feels like just cutting room floor outtakes things that you should never put in your final movie (laughs) right i mean that's the other thing i don't don't know if i mentioned it already or not but this film was shot in nine days nine and a half that's ridiculous so the entirety of this film all 80 something minutes of its runtime or at least what we see on screen you know with actors i assume special effects uh, and visual effects could have been done later was shot in nine and a half days, less than 10 days of shooting schedule, right? And even if those were like 14 or 16 hour days, that is crazy, right? That's like rom-com Joe Swanberg, you know, like drinking buddies kind of kind of shooting schedule, right? Where it's just like, we're going to get together. We're going to have some people have six or seven conversations, string it together with some location footage and we're done. It's like turning in a first draft. Yeah, I this mean, movie you, is a first it, draft. It is a first draft. I mean, least. some all of these scenes had to have been the first and only take. I I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, they can't be much of anything else. Okay, so here we come back to the action set piece that actually opened the film, but we had no context for what was going on, and that <laughs> is that. Okay, we've already seen that there are spaceships in this universe, right? People travel on spaceships. They move from place to place. The spaceships apparently are quite fast these people, you know, reappear and make it from this distant planet back to Earth relatively quickly. But we find out that soldiers don't drop into battle from spaceships. (laughs) Instead, they are quantum teleported into the battle inside of their awesome space armor, and then they fly down to their location. Uh, okay. Um, uh, all right. I'm just going to throw this out here. If you have mastered quantum teleportation of biological matter, why do you need spaceships? Spaceships are cool. It, I mean, like, Star Trek, again, is very specific about how teleportation works. Short distances small you know relatively small amounts of stuff at a time transporters can only deal with so much so we still need ships to like move around for the big stuff these people jump from earth to another galaxy like it's nothing i think and and like i'm all about suspension of disbelief i'm all about mm-hmm. yeah impossible absolutely. science um you know there's 
Star Trek's full of that too. Mm-hmm. Theoretical stuff that would never work in a totally. million years. Tacky. Um, yeah, it's all <laughs> it's like, you know, ridiculous stuff. shit. Mm-hmm. But the thing about science fiction and the reason that that gets under people's skin so much is that there is a universe of nerds out there who love science and would love to give you practical explanations for things that might theoretically work mm-hmm. in some future, you know, that you have imagined. Yeah, um, cool. They'll help you figure out rules for your universe and they'll help you understand all kinds of sciencey things. Because, I mean, that's that's one thing about, you know, science fiction geeks is they love that stuff. And this movie just seems to laugh in the face of that. Like, no, no, we're just going to we're just going to make something up. <laughs> yeah. We're and it doesn't have to have cool. It doesn't have to have any sort of, you know, basis in any facts whatsoever. It doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to be. It just needs to get us through this this eighty minutes of of absolute garbage. <laughs> right. We are we are manufacturing a product. This product needs to have these key features for us to put it on the box or to sell it in a trailer. And and we are man, we are making to that product, which is fine. There are really good movies out there that were manufactured specifically as products, and I'm okay with that. But this is a product that is so brazenly bad and ill thought out that I can't give it that rope anymore. Like at a certain level, I have to say, but no, but you did this badly on nearly every level. And and that's the thing that just, just floors me. So they, they get quantum teleported into the middle of a space battle. So again, somewhere in between these people being like, we've got to be the ones to strike first. The battle started like the war began. And so they fly into this, this planet they don't actually come to the planet they're they're sent in in space instead of being just teleported to the surface of the planet and then they fly through this battle and guess what people don't make it like this is why this is a stupid idea you know you talk a lot about halo this this feels very halo inspired because of course in halo there's a class of soldier called an orbital drop shock trooper odst and, and like in every Halo game where ODSTs are featured, they're coming down in their drop pods from space and, you know, they get shot out or the pod malfunctions. Like, because this is like a super risky way to try and enter a battle. But the point is, oh, maybe we can take them by surprise. But this just feels so ill-advised. I mean, they're literally just people in spacesuits being shot at by people in spaceships. It, it's nonsense. They don't even seem to have guns. Like, they're just sent into this battle with, like, a pistol. It's like, what is happening? So we get a very, very badly CG'd, like, space thing. And they're, like, trying to dodge debris, and they run into each other. So characters get lost. We don't know which characters get lost. It's not clear who's being knocked off course or what's happening to them. It's just Nothing is clear. It's just I just don't understand what's going on. This was where the movie just kind of lost me yeah. permanently. I mean, I already didn't, I already had a very tenuous grip on what was happening in this movie anyway. Because <laughs> um, it's just a lot of science words. It's a lot of Flash Gordon-y. I, we're we're going to talk over our audience with a bunch of meaningless jargon so that we don't have to explain anything. And then once the action starts, it's that plus action. And not good action either. No, the ba- the action is, is ineptly filmed at pretty much every level. Um, 
but I knew we were in trouble the moment we got to just random nondescript forest because yeah. I'm like, oh dear. We're just in Vancouver now. We're just <laughs> we're just in the forest. Um, it's cheap to shoot here. Nobody's paying attention to us. If we shoot we, during the daytime, we filmed this on my uncle's property. We don't property. have to use lights. It's it was so like, oh geez. I mean, and it really at a certain level felt like an episode of Stargate, like SG one, right? Like, oh, this is this is that forest. We're out there again. So we're on a planet. We're on an alien planet that just happens to have oak trees and it, it's just nonsensical. But my favorite scene in the film happens right after they land. So they land and they come down from space, apparently like missiles, right? They hit the ground and there's an explosion, but the explosion, this were shown these, you know, these two scenes are butted up against each other. So presumably it's the same sequence of actions. Uh, one of the characters hits the ground, there's an explosion and then he just kind of jogs forward from it, right? He's just sort of like, jogging as he hits the ground and and the ground exploded he just kind of like oh oh that was a rough landing i guess it, it's just the worst but the but it best would look scene, cool to have a guy running away from an explosion but so casas mandalore pa- uh, pamela anderson's kid and then the Kita <laughs> all land and my favorite scene in the film happens the film where i had the moment in the film where i had to just throw everything out the window nothing else matters Pay attention, don't pay attention. It doesn't make a difference. So they've brought with them this Q-bomb, right? Like the thing that that can rip open a hole in space-time and murder an entire planet or more. They brought this with them because that's what they're going to use and deploy to try and stop this alien race before they can kill us. And so the Q-Tech was holding it. She was the one responsible for it as they flew through an active battle in space. And Costas Mandalore's character turns around and he's like, where's the Q-bomb? And she's like, oh, oh, oh. And she just kind of like starts hunting around and she finds it just laying on the ground next to a tree. And she's like, I've got it. <laughs> like, I like, found the MacGuffin. It's like, wait, it's what? Over here. So this thing could destroy the entire planet that you're standing on. And you just yeah. it just kind of fell out of your just pocket. Dropped it. <laughs> I just kind of dropped it when I hit the ground. Like, whoops. That's a classic Samuel Witwicky move right yeah, there. Man, <laughs> Be careful. Like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just, let's call it the all spark, shall we? Um, <laughs> it was just so MacGuffin-y. Yeah, it's dumb. I mean, it's it's stupid. I, I certainly imagine that human beings will be capable of developing technology that will absolutely murder everything in the universe. But, but yeah, like, this is a lot of people just standing around in a forest not doing much. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't really get much better from here. Everything kind of falls apart. So Costas Mandalore needs to leave this film because I'm sure he's quite expensive and he's already delivered many, many important lines. So he gets shot immediately, even though he has this big armor on and and will die soon. They get into a battle with nondescript people that we're supposed to assume are the aliens, but we're never really shown what they are or who they are, probably intentionally because they don't have budget to make them look interesting. And then we're introduced to, I'm just going to call her Nacho Cheese Hair, because that's what I called her when I was watching it the first time. Uh, I think she's a wrestler. Is that right? Uh, um, CJ Perry, I think. I think she's a wrestler. Um, and and the way that they've chosen to, to differentiate her. her, apart from her armor, which is a little different. It, it's more foam instead of vacuum formed, probably because they were trying to accentuate her physique. 
She's I loved her. I loved her her look. Mm-hmm. I was like, why do why doesn't everyone in this movie have a unique yeah. kind of look like, and feel to she's their character? So she's so far off the rest of the characters. It's it is off putting because it's so different that it makes me upset that the movie was not like that all along. <laughs> um so like she she has a, a big dose of personality, I think, because mm-hmm. somebody said, Hey, you can probably do that Michelle Rodriguez thing, right? Definitely. And she did. She brought her own kind of thing to it. But at the same time, they don't really give her much space to do more than that. Just be be a trope. Be the tough girl yeah. trope, please. And and That'll I don't be enough. I mean, I'm all for like giant over the top space guns. But, but her public. gun is ridiculous. It's supposed to be like a, a 50 cal sniper rifle, right? It's it's like a modified version of that. But somebody either, you know, I imagine lifting one of those, they're, they're like, I don't know, 45 pounds or something. Like there's no way you would run around with that as a special effect. So they must have made it out of a foam or some other like much more manageable, uh, you know, material. And when they did, they just scaled it up. They just went like, ah, plus 45%. And it's just huge and ridiculous. And it's an energy weapon. It doesn't even fire projectiles, right? It's it's obviously just shooting like a ball of energy, which I'm like, if it's just shooting energy, then why does it need to be that big? Why do yeah. you need a barrel, right? Barrels are for- Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that that harkens back to one of the one of the best sci-fi moments in, in movies, which was the- the teeny tiny gun that Will Smith gets in Men in Black. <laughs> right, yeah. Let's subvert this trope, right? The bigger the gun does not matter because it's an energy weapon. Who cares? So she's got a decent look. She obviously has some acting ability. I mean, it's it's the sort of over-the-top acting ability you would expect to see out of somebody that's come from wrestling, which is fine. But This movie is not like... establishing tone in right. any significant way. So go as big as you want to go. Who cares? But it's just like you're you're kind of wasting your effort by acting in this part. Cause I don't think she had to put in nearly as much effort to be a unique character. She could have just gone full, you know, I'm just Michelle Rodriguez clone. <laughs> I'm here to be the tough girl. That's right. So I guess now is the first time we really sort of kind of understand what these aliens are. They wear leather hoods oh, for no. some reason. Uh, again, demonic. Somebody at some point in this chain would have had to think about these things, right? Like somebody had to be like, okay, what are our aliens going to look like? Well, we only have the budget to go to Academy Sports and get some some like knee pads off of some catcher's outfits, so we're going to put those on, and then we've got these like leather bodkins that we're well, just it's put it's on all of them. it's like at no point do they ever try to understand what the aliens are, or where they're from. Or how and why they're doing the things that they're doing. And that's sort of a big thing with alien invasion stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Independence Day, we studied them a little bit. Right. We don't have to like have a complete understanding of their culture. But, but we want to know their motivations. We want to know like maybe what they look like. Um, <laughs> we want to know what their their basic needs are. Like what's... That's the whole point. And we do that in real wars, too, like wars that we fight with other people. We try to figure out why those things happen or happened. And this just, these aliens, just, there's, it's, it's the most minimal effort. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's 
I mean, it's that going is out of the its theme way. of the film. Just minimal effort. <laughs> I mean, this is a character, this is a film that when a character is is trying to figure out what an alien ship's capabilities are, there is a heads-up display on his arm that says literally at the top, alien ship. Yeah. That's the level of creativity that's gone on to this here. Like, it's just like, oh, what am I looking at here? Oh, it's an alien ship. So they we'll didn't even try to hood. try to George Lucas a name for it. No. And I mean, that's fine. It's an alien ship, but you could at least, you know, try and give it a number or something. I mean, if we're really going to yeah. go down this military sci-fi rabbit hole. It's like how you say everything comes from, you know, a certain class of planet or something. You know, just right. make it up. God, you made up everything else. Everything else is made up. <laughs> Who cares, dude? Just do something. But I... The armor looks even worse in daytime. I do want to say that. Like, it's just oh. so bad. So much foam. So much foam. So much vacuum-formed uh, you know, plastic. It ha- it doesn't have any weight to it. It doesn't have any heft to it. It just it looks so bad. I mean, the sound is mm. also not there. Oh, like the, the thank The foley you. in this movie is terrible. I, I have a note further down in my notes. The outdoor and indoor sound effects from this point forward in the film are constant. Yeah. There is no point where you don't hear like you know twittering birds or weird forest sounds. It's just running on a loop in the background the entire time. And the same thing happens when they get inside and there's like some science stuff around. There's just like that low level hum. And, and lots of sci-fi does that, right? But you put that down in the soundtrack where it's just a background yeah. presence. But no, sound, it's easy to hear. Oh my God. So sound in, in science fiction is so important because uh, there are so many sounds that get recycled in sci-fi movies and sci-fi games mm-hmm. that come from the same stock libraries. I mean, we all know that people use those. I mean, you, you buy those databases and you have like 400,000 sound libraries to surf through. Like everybody right. knows yeah, that, no. I hope. Definitely if you didn't know that, now you know that. Um, but this movie doesn't even make an effort to disguise them or, or change them or alter them. It's just adding shitty default sound effects over the top of an open mic on set. Mm-hmm. It's bad. <laughs> And the voices don't sound good. No, no, like it's not mixed well. Like it, it's it's just all very very basic, you know, sort of basic technique, and it just doesn't really gel in any way. You know, all the pieces are there, right? Like this is, you know, this is baby's first movie. Like I know what all the pieces are. I know what need to be what needs to be here for the movie to happen, but none of the finesse, none of the skill necessary to tell a story of this scale or this type effectively. And that is no better exemplified by one of the very next scenes where we find Bruce Willis waking up in the, in the forest after, you know, he fell out of the sky, but he wasn't able to just hit the ground at a light jog. He hit the ground and actually was unconscious for a little bit. And when he wakes up, he's surrounded by some sort of alien team. One of them's in a tree for reasons that aren't obvious. And then we're introduced to, I guess, we'll call him the the big bad of, of the alien race. And he looks like a character straight out of a Gears of War game. He's just got all this crap on his face. It's foam rubber shoulder pads that are huge, like but just the one shoulder pad that's huge. 
and he wields a sword for some reason. Um, this seems like a, a... These were like sci-fi Urukai. Yeah. If I don't even know <laughs> if I'd give him that kind of credence or credibility, man. Like, this is just... It's just, it's every movie that someone liked that they're pulling, like, ideas from it. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, that could work in our movie. That could work in our we'll movie. We'll do that. Anything's possible, man. That could do. Even though hand-to-hand combat in this this world seems like a, a pretty significant mistake. I mean, we just watched the, the wrestler lady, Nacho Cheese Hair. She just obliterated a dude with basically, like, a, a shoulder-mounted railgun. And, and you're going to tell me that your alien baddie, like your main dude, it just runs around with a sword? What? How's that smart? But so Ford gets pulled into a cave. and so we then can get him in a nice dark location that's easy to film. From behind <laughs> with another actor. Because these are not scenes that Bruce Willis is appearing. You know, I just want to put up a little thing on the bottom. Bruce Willis does not appear in this scene. Bruce Willis, <laughs> sir, not, not appearing in this, in this film. <laughs> exactly, it's sir, not appearing in this film. It's just because he's not in any of those shots. And I've I've started as 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 we've watched through it multiple times. His double, his right ear, has like a weird curve at the top that Bruce Willis's ear does not have. So it's e- now it's it's. It's fairly easy from this point on in the film to spot when he's being shot from behind. They kind of hide it in other shots, but I guess they couldn't, you know, because, again, they shot this film in less than 10 days. So whatever. Looks good the first time. But so he gets he gets sort of pulled into this cave and he's communing with the aliens somehow. And he thinks it's his ex-wife, but it's not. Or maybe it is. Who knows? It's shot basically as just a bunch of overlays and dissolves. And it's uh, it's just not. It's not, it's nonsensical for one. Like we don't really know what's happening because he's sort of like communing with them somehow and, but yet not. And it, it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, then we, we get really our, our kind of final location of the film. Like we're, we have 30 minutes left in this turd and we are going to be in this warehouse for the remainder of it. But we're told it's some kind of orbital cannon. It looks a whole lot like a grain like, warehouse, but yeah, this is just filmed on someone's uncle's property. It really was. I I can't imagine. I mean, it has a Georgia thing at the end, so I know it's taking place in Georgia. So maybe some of it's like you know just at film this large in Uncle Gary's studios. silo. <laughs> but I mean, it's really just that we're gonna take a nondescript room that is obviously just drywall, and we're gonna put some LED lights along the floor to make it you know, not appear so typical and, and we're just going to kind of run with it and let and you crates put crates, <laughs> crates everywhere. everywhere. That's how you hide, uh, you know, a numerous a multitude of sins. multitude of sins are hidden by crates. So we find it's out the crate uh, full of my sins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This movie has a crate full of sin. Uh, it's in the title. So Costas Mandalore is not going to make it because he's far too expensive to be in the rest of this film. Yeah. Uh, he's got episodes of Silk Stockings to earn royalties from. He just doesn't have time for this. He has like 18 other movies in pre-production. Right, right at now. least. He's a busy man. They're going to make another Saw movie at some point. He'll have to cameo in that. He's, he's very busy. So Bruce Willis's character walks into the room after being rescued, sees that he's been shot, which, again, it it seems like he's infected, like maybe the bullets that these aliens shoot are what infects you. 
again, it's not explained. They infect you with shit face. I, I don't know. That's the thing is like, <laughs> how, why is he dying? He got shot like in the neck through the armor and, and seemingly didn't bleed out immediately. So is, is he going to be okay? <clears throat> it does. It just, I don't know why he's dying other than he's expensive and we can't have him be in this movie anymore. Yeah. And so Bruce Willis walks into the room and just mur- murders him. Just gives him a shot that kills him because he was going to die anyway. Just weird. It, it was weird. And then there's... Why did that happen? Yeah, it just... <laughs> I'd, I'd be fine with it if, like, there was this approving nod where Mandalore's like, I, I understand now. It's fine. I don't want to live this way. I, I can't... I want to survive. I won't survive this, so just make the pain go away. You know, whatever. But he just kills him. <laughs> it's over. And and then we get a few more scenes with Bruce Willis. This is really kind of his last. He doesn't say anything else for the rest of this movie after these next couple of scenes. And he gets like the standard, you know, don't be an old soldier like me. Don't go down the way I did. You know, all this. What the hell whatever. was that speech? What was that? I don't know. So, I mean, it's just to set up the last stage of this film. The aliens are constructing a space gate. It's a stargate. It's obviously a stargate. Somebody saw stargate. They're building one of those so they can bring all their forces through from whatever galaxy they're from. I thought they were here already. There was a space battle. I don't know what's happening because they had ships here. How did those ships get here? Do they have another smaller Stargate that only small ships can come through and now they're building the big one to bring the big ships through? Did the other force come here under you know traditional means to build the space gate so the rest of them could come through? There's just absolutely there are no, no answers for you answers. here. For how this is happening. We're just told they're building a Stargate. They're all going to come through and kill us. How do we stop them? And the mechanics of the end of this story, we talked earlier about how this movie feels like it's being so original. It is obvious what you do. They're building a Stargate. They're on the other side of the Stargate. You send the Q-bomb through the Stargate to kill them on the other side and then collapse the Stargate before the explosion can come through. It's obvious exactly what needs to happen it's happened in literally dozens of other films mm-hmm. including the avengers for god's sakes mm-hmm. i mean that's how the avengers ends and these characters are like what are we going to do how could we possibly stop this impossible situation what are we how are we? and then you know tommy lee's kid is trying to be like well what if we do these things and then the q-bomb text like i don't know about that and it's like yes this is so obvious how this movie's going to end and you've still got a half hour left. It's amazing. We do get a lot of really great shots of Bruce Willis here being like, that's a dumb idea. Or I think I could get behind that. You know, that kind of stuff again, just random lines. Yeah, just making faces. Who knows where they're holding up bumper stickers and telling him to read them. Out loud. <laughs> there are a couple of shots that almost look like he's got a little headpiece in like an earphone. And it just yeah. makes me wonder if somebody's not just feeding him lines, like what they think they need him to say. They only film him in like three quarter profile so they can hide it. Exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, I, I really love visual effects. I love studying visual effects. It's something that I've wanted to get into for a really long time. And I just have never invested the time to learn some of the tools and, and play around with them. But based on what I am, I have seen, there is a whole lot of default effect work being done in the special effects uh, shots or visual effects gosh, shots in this film so much. like they are they are just using like okay we pre- we built a spaceship 
great. We modeled that in Blender. We're going to bring that into, you know, 3D Max, 3D Studio Maya, whatever tool we have available to us. It's probably not one that nice. And then we're just going to, you know, default reflections, default texture, <laughs> default glowy effect. Um, and at one point, this is really terrible. And it's only going to make sense if you also care about video games. But at one point, there was, I, I forget, it was one of the like really, really egregious, obvious default effects scenes here toward the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lull in the conversation. And I, I turned to my husband and I just said, made with unity <laughs> yeah i mean maybe is it Who it knows, really man? does look like a unity game it's possible. and i like I, I that and i think that's great for games that are made with unity but this is a movie mm-hmm. this is a movie that's legitimately wants to be a big commercial picture and right. whoa you just don't you don't think things like this can happen like uve bowl i think yeah. Made us believe yeah. that, that this is just that would never happen again. Nope. But the, this is wow. this is House of the Dead. This is uh postal. And even House <laughs> of the Dead had a little bit of personality to it. He tried. Yeah, he tried. You know, those were terrible movies, but I, I still feel like there was some awareness there. I I don't I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's much awareness that this is a bad movie. No, I and reading some of the stuff with the director, no, like he legitimately believes that this movie's awesome. Like he believes that this movie is is great. And sweet again, summer like, child. I I I'm glad that he feels so good about what he made and and I would try yeah. I would hope I would too. But man, I it's difficult to look at this and think that it could be objective. I, I really don't know. Um I will say there are there are a couple of shots in this this last setup that I think are okay. So there's an exterior shot of the orbital cannon, which is just mm-hmm. a, a special effects thing they stuck on top of the grain silo, and that looks all right, right? Because it doesn't move, the lighting on it is mostly okay. That is a special effects shot that is fitting with the budget of this movie. Right. Like that's that's where you look at and say, okay, what can we pull off here? That's going to look pretty good for the money that we've got. And I think so many so many of the sins of this movie, right, the cosmic sins of this movie (laughs) would be rectified by them just not reaching for stuff that they cannot pull off. Because that's what that's what's happening here. Right. If these suits of armor have these like energy shields that connect the pieces of them that look like they're just dangling over black T-shirts then just make them energy suits. Just make them the shield suits from Dune, and every once in a while have a little glowy effect that shows that it's enacted, right? Yeah. Why go to all this trouble? That's going to be cheaper. If you want to give them cool-looking shoulder pads or something to make them unique, go for it. Whatever, dude. Who cares? But, like, stay within your lane. Like, that's the thing. You can <laughs> you can pull stuff off that looks good without having to go to all this trouble and then reaching for something that you cannot hit with the budget and time constraints that you have, right? If you've got 10 days to shoot a movie, then shoot that movie in 10 days. But again, stay in your lane, like know what you've got to work with, right? And if you can't afford this stuff to make it look good, then don't do it. Because there are a couple shots at the end of this movie with that armor specifically where the knee pads are not aligned on Tommy Lee Jr.'s body. And it looks ridiculous, like just ridiculous. 
So, like, that kind of stuff is fine. So, like, I, I look at this shot of the orbital cannon, I'm like, that's okay. That looks fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Do more things like that, please. But, of course, they don't. Then we get, um, I, I did want to briefly mention the scene where uh, the actor and co-writer, Corey Large. That's right, his name is Corey Large. Has a, I mean, he's around somewhere, I'm sure. He has a conversation with, I'm going to assume, as a producer's daughter, where he's telling her that everything's going to be okay, and then gives her a pair of sunglasses, which I'm guessing is the, the writer. That was so awkward. It's so out of nowhere, dude. Like, at no point has this film attempted to make us feel emotional about anything or, like, the cost, the human cost of what's you know, an alien battle might, might enact. And here all of a sudden we just get this, this one-off conversation with him and this little girl being like, everything's going to be fine. And it, and he looks um, uncomfortable she, and the kid looks uncomfortable. Yeah. And it, it looks like this was filmed over like everybody's lunch break mm -hmm. when it's like, Hey, Corey, are you busy? Uh, yeah. I just wanted to get something real quick. Yeah. Just try something. Willis and then they put it in the final movie. He finishes his chickpeas. So we're going to have to, you know, you got some time. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just felt so strange. Just the, the sudden bizarre tangents that this movie would go on where it just, it, it would inject these little moments that were sort of pointless. I don't know. It just, it's weird. Yeah, and then I love. I can't believe this is a real movie. And then I love that his costume, at the end of this film, is just him wearing like some white tennis shoes, and some jeans. <laughs> that's that's Corey Large's costume at the end of this. He ditches his armor because yeah. it got busted or something, and he he you know, goes through the final encounter in like some some white keds, just just chilling out. And he's, I like him as an actor but it's like it's again everyone who's in this movie i like them generally mm -hmm. but they just look so bored and confused they look like they don't know why they're in this no, movie i i can't imagine <laughs> acting on something like this because you you probably learned your lines you don't have the time to invest in anything you know you're you're literally just showing up hitting a marker and delivering lines to the camera and being told, hopefully, somewhat skillfully by a director, here's you know what you need to emote, or here's the feelings that you're feeling, or here's what your character's going through. But you don't have time to develop any of that in a film like this, you know. So I, yeah. I feel bad for the actors that they they're having to kind of work in these conditions, and some of them do okay with it. Again, Corey Large helped write the script, so he probably at least yeah. had some context for what was going but, on. But like, what does it say that when your producer is like in your movie? the person who should arguably be really invested in what's going on looks like they just don't looks like they just showed up an hour ago. Yeah. It's like, I, I just rolled out of bed, man. I didn't even bother putting on the t-shirt the production wanted me to wear. This is just the band t-shirt I had on. So, you know? so like I question then what did you contribute that you could be sort of seemingly so shocked by being in this movie as you do in all of the scenes that you're in. <laughs> Like what? Like like almost a, a moment of self awareness appears on his face. Like, am I really in this movie? Yeah, I'm, is this happening right now? Yeah, I, I don't think they they had any any sort of large scale 
you know, bird's eye view of what this project was going to be. I think they had the script. I think they had the ideas. I think they filmed it as fast as they could to get the actors they wanted to have in it. And then they just worked it all out later. Um, and it's, it's, it's something. It's certainly something. So our, our final confrontation, we, uh, Frank Grillo, as I said, disappears for the, the second and most of the third act of this film. And then we find out that he is just been, he's just been floating in space for this entire time. He's still alive, but he, he's, he's just fine. chilling out in space and nobody knows where he's at. And I, I have to comment on how they were, the scenes in space where they're in the spacesuits are shot. So I'm sure most of us have seen the behind the scenes of the, the 2009 Star Trek reboot with J.J. Abrams. And very famously, you know, there's the, the, there is the, the airdrop sequence in that where they come in from the ship and go down into the Vulcan atmosphere and all that stuff. And so there's a bunch of shots of them, you know, sort of coming down through the atmosphere and it's very violent and the camera's shaking and, and, you know, J.J. Abrams very famously, he filmed those on the studio back lot with mirror. They like, they were standing on top of mirrors that would, that were reflecting the blue of the sky. And then they just kind of like put stuff around them and he shot them close enough that you couldn't really tell that they were just literally standing on a back lot, looking up at a camera and, and right. doing their lines. It's, it's great guerrilla lo-fi filmmaking that looks good, accomplishes the task. Somebody was trying to do that here, except they're in a black room with a single like spotlight shining on their face, sort of like the Iron Man suit effect, I guess is kind of what they're going for here too, right? Where it's just Tony Stark's face in a black void and then you just put sci-fi crap all around it to make it look like he's inside the Iron Man armor with his heads up display. You can tell they were kind of trying to do that. It looks bad. It's super dumb. And that is where we spent a lot of time with Frank Grillo in this movie. <laughs> Which tells yes. me that Frank Grillo was in three locations in this film. Mm -hmm. He was in nondescript warehouse number one. He was inside a 2015 Ford F-150. Mm -hmm. And then he was in a black room inside of this dumb spacesuit with a single light and a single camera. And I kind of applaud these filmmakers for having the chutzpah to, to be that sort of bare bones in how they're working with these guys. Man, it just does not come off. It shows. Well. It shows. It shows. It they can't shows. make it look genuine. They can't make it look fluid. No. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's any part of the film's ethos. Mm -mm. Like I said, I, I don't I don't dislike anyone in this movie mm -mm. or anyone who made this movie. But I dislike this movie. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> I just strongly dislike it. It's a hard movie to like. Um <laughs> So really, the, the end of the film is a final confrontational battle between the aliens and the the ragtag group of survivors in a nondescript warehouse loading dock, uh, is what it looks like. And we find out that the aliens have possessed Bruce Willis's ex-wife slash scientist. Uh, they've possessed her body. They, they like her body, is what it says. Oh, I like this body. Um... So there, there's some kind like, of parasitic infection in the blood, which, okay, all right, that's fine. But, like, we're mm -hmm. really far along in this movie, and you're telling me these things now? Right. Come on. And, and so she tries to get Ford on her side, 
yeah, there was this weird, like, join me and we'll rule the galaxy together moment, and I just don't... What? Why? I mean, so they know he's the blood general somehow. I guess they can get their memories or something. <laughs> Word gets around. <laughs> and so they're like, we need somebody that's as violent as you, right? Like, that kind of violence is, is the kind of thing we need. And, and then we get a little bit of, you know, some flashbacks of her being infected in, like, the weird cave. And, and you know, why, again. Some it's, B-roll. It's all B-roll. It's just weird dissolves and, 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 and bloom and, and, you know, whatever. And so she becomes one of the aliens. She's got shit on her face so that you know mm-hmm. she's an alien now. Oh, yeah. And, and she does the whole, like, join us. We'll rule the galaxy and. And then Ford's like, nah, it's okay. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no hesitation. There's no conflict. There's no, there's no like, emotional pull to that moment. It just happens. Yeah. It's, it's expected, right? It's like, well, we have to have a conversation. We can't just go into open, you know, combat. There has to be some kind of moment here before something happens. And it, it's meaningless. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. It's a chance for this this actress to to do some acting and for them to run a dumb vocal filter over her performance because <laughs> having something infect your blood would change how your vocal cords work. You see, of course. like I mean, that's it's the possession voice. Obviously, yes. I mean, we've all seen The Exorcist. That little girl mm-hmm. was not talking normally. So it's. You think the writers the writers meeting for this like everybody was just sitting around a table and they're like, you know, a movie I liked. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the exercise. I mean, I think at a certain Alien. point when you're packaging a product like this, you're just trying to hit beats that you know people like. I mean, that's got to be what it is. There, there's no other reason why the plot would have some of these points. It's either written so fast that you're just pulling from stuff you know, which is, you know, sure. I mean, I've done that before. I've done that with, with written work where yeah. I, I throw something together in a few months and and it's just done. But But then you, like, keep refining it. And working with it yeah. and trying to do cool yeah. things. And it, this one just doesn't seem like it had that time. Again, first draft. You're just you're just putting this out there as is. Right. <laughs> and the I this is also where the editing of this film just completely falls apart because now because the movie wants to remind us of all of the emotional heft involved in the telling mm-hmm. of the story, we just get all of these inserts constantly characters from other moments i mean they didn't they obviously did not film much for this so we're really just being shown the same things over and over again i mean how much can you possibly film in nine days not a lot i mean it's it's not a tremendous amount i think i have more footage of my dogs i would say that's guaranteed yeah i think i could put together an oscar-winning bid of my dog footage having after after having seen this it's possible hey man anybody can make a movie now it's amazing (laughs) You could, you Just could ADR some lines over the dogs. Get Bruce Willis to show up for a few hours, get some shots Inspired of him on the poster. Inspired by Cosmic Sin. <laughs> and so the battle starts, and this ground battle is whatever. It feels like five guys in the leather doublets that they just keep using over and over again. Some red LED lighting in the distance, and just a whole bunch of blanks being fired out of uh, you know, twenty-two round AR-15s that they got at Walmart for a hundred and it bucks. and it genuinely looks like they only filmed it once. Yeah, there's no thought to this. It's mostly handheld. They're just kind of following. You can tell what they did was they had individual characters do things, and they filmed them doing those things, and then they just cut them together to make it look like they were yeah. working together. 
you know, sort of like Bruce, walk forward, shoot your gun, turn left, shoot your gun, turn right, shoot your gun, get behind cover, shoot your gun. And then they just had all the other characters basically do the same thing and they just wove them together. There's no real choreography here taking place um, of any significance. And definitely, it's it's not visually interesting. It's I, I don't even really know what to say about it. It's just... Ugh. So the aliens somehow get their butts handed to them. Um, we're not really sure how or why, but they do. So they decide to leave in their ship. And I guess the, the ex-wife, you know, sort of is escaping, I guess. I, I don't really know where exactly she plans to go or what she plans to do. Yeah, the movie kind of pieced out, letting us in on what was happening next. Right. It was like, ah, following events already in progress. <laughs> but Ford finds a busted helmet or a partially busted helmet. I don't know. But he's able to, like, yeah. recomplete his armor spacesuit thing that, you know, his tactical shirt from Target is, is enough to that's keep the thing him warm you can in do. space. He puts the helmet on and, and then he, like, hides out on the ship, which is going to lead to our final conflict he just grabs onto a spaceship and holds on as it takes off because that's definitely a thing a human being could do tom cruise might be able to do it but i don't i don't know about this situation because uh, i thought spaceships moved fast but maybe not so they go into space and you know the again there's fighting on the ground tommy lee's kid is is you know shooting blanks uh, you know do they have projectile weapons now or are they do they have energy like, what kind of guns it's, do people use? Because we don't really know. It get, we get both. Uh, just, you know, just generally futuristic looking. Just future they, guns. You know, they have, like, some extra plastic pieces attached to them. So <laughs> That's all you they need. can fire both projectiles and lasers. Right. And energy cannon function. Uh, it's a rail gun. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Nobody knows. Whatever the plot requires. At the so, moment. <laughs> so now Grillo and the Q Tech are trying to destroy the Stargate. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to send the bomb through. And then, like she's headed to the bank to deposit money from her grandparents, she just drops the Q bomb in a thing and it just gets shot into space. <laughs> like, there's, she just opens a door, puts in this. Okay, again, I want to establish this is a universe ending bomb. That will create a black hole that murders everything. And she just walks over, opens a little thing, just shoves it inside. It's like, okay, it's coming up. <laughs> like, like, is everybody ready? Yeah, is the bank teller inside? Is she going to check my deposit book to make sure that, you know, the funds are going to go into the right account? Is there anybody there to check? No. Just pop, pop the universe-ending bomb in there. And so, you know, that obvious storyline is going to come to its completion Tommy Lee's kid is in a final battle with the big alien Gears of War character who has now resorted to using a sword. And guess what? What what happens to him? He gets shot. Because when you're in a gunfight, what purpose does a sword hold? Um we have a saying about that. Yeah, I think I think uh, it's some sort of little proverb. It's a fairly common concept, mm. but yet this alien doesn't seem to grasp it efficiently so I, yeah i i don't if only he'd learn to communicate with us we exactly if only we'd opened a dialogue we'd maybe had some some negotiation maybe we could have solved this problem then you know that's a problem with a tachyon fc <laughs> that's right. protocol quantum eliminate yes. quantum <laughs> <laughs> 
So the, Science. So the Q-Tech fires the bomb through the Stargate or tries to fire through the Stargate using her SciTech X-51 joystick that somebody from the production uh. team grabbed off of their desk at home. Um, <laughs> she fires it through and it gets stopped by the... Uh, the, the scientist lady, right? The ex-wife character. Who has become a white walker now. <laughs> who is not in a spacesuit and is just standing on top of their starship <laughs> outside of the Stargate. So the way that they, they thought this final conflict was going to go down was to get somehow out of the spaceship and just walk around on the top of it. And I guess herald the oncoming, the oncoming army. Uh, and so she stops the torpedo with the Q-bomb on it, just magically with some kind of space power. It puts it in a, yeah. a default uh, filter from After Effects and kind of holds it in position. And then Bruce Willis shows up after having traveled on said spaceship. And they have a fight on top of it at the end. Um, well, I should say that Bruce Willis's ball double has a fight with another double on top of the spaceship at the very end. There's various energy beams exchanged. And then something happens and the bubble, the default after effects bubble explodes and the missile is allowed to go through into the other side as well as the scientist. And like some kind of countdown is going on because when she sent it up through the bank teller tube, it also get put a time limit on it somehow, even though she hadn't established that. Uh, so she gave it like a minute or something. I guess. And so Bruce Willis gets sort of blown back off of it. Frank Grillo is still trying to blow up the Stargate, which he does, but he dies. Whereas Bruce Willis's character, who is also there, does not die. But Frank Grillo's closer, so he does die, I guess, even though he could probably just push off. He could just. They didn't want to copy Armageddon or anything. So they didn't want that's true. I mean, that's two life. Bruce Willis movies that are very similar in the ending. So, uh, so Grillo dies. Tommy Lee's kid gets really upset about it and then goes and punches the alien that he already shot even more to death, uh, which is a thing you do. I guess he's still alive. So punching him to death is sensible to do. Um, but again, this movie is supposed to have like emotional weight. Like you can tell somebody was like, oh, dude, dude. Like, I don't even know these people's names. No. <laughs> well, one of them is named Braxton Ryle. Oh, yeah, Braxton. Braxton Ryle. <laughs> and Frank Grillo must be Ryle of something, right? Kyle Ryle. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, Kyle Ryle. <laughs> that's what it'll be in my mind forever. Kyle Ryle. I'm General <laughs> Kyle Ryle. This is my nephew Braxton Ryle. We're in a young, young adult novel. <laughs> We're the Tachyon Blood Generals. Yeah, that's right. Yes, not just Blood Generals. We're Tachyon Blood Generals. <laughs> but they they have to fire the orbital cannon again, and it blows up the Stargate, and then the bomb explodes, and and humanity wins. The day is saved, and. And this, of course, is where we get like the whole line of uh, we never wanted peace like we were going to kill you all anyway, because, you know, the cosmic sin protocol was what our protocol was, too. And I, I 
again, I don't want to talk about this film's themes. It doesn't have themes. It doesn't have ideas. It has like smatterings of concepts that are just sort of floated through it. But it seemed like the core theme or the potential theme was, okay, like who should win? You know, should we strike first or should we seek, you know, diplomatic negotiations, whatever. This is every ninth grader's idea for a science fiction video game. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. But I mean, basically. Like that kid who's got a composition notebook just full of his full ideas, of all ideas. handwritten, ready to share I've them with you. So many of them. <laughs> right. The Jaguar X6 tank strode uh, from the. But I mean, like, it just undercuts the whole thing because basically the aliens say, Your methodology was right. We were going to kill you. Now you've killed us. Congratulations. You killed us first. You're the you're the real winners in this galactic war that lasted 48 hours. And it just it just it it just lands like a wet fart, man. Like it's just so empty and hollow and meaningless that it's hard. I mean, movies like this can get away with a lot if they end well. Right, if the ending is good and solid and decently memorable, a lot of movies like this you can kind of forgive them. For, I'm not. I'm not saying this one would be forgivable, even if the ending was just a slam, you know, slam dunk. This still wouldn't be forgivable. But a lot of these B movies, if if it ends on a decent note, you feel good about it. It's fine, right? It's one of those things, as you said, you, you watch it on Netflix. You didn't hate the experience. You never think about it again, but it's a whatever. But this movie doesn't even have the ability to end well. It ends with a knife fight between a Gears of War villain and Pam Anderson's son. That is just pointless. I mean, he's just he's punching foam rubber is all he's doing. And you can tell the filmmakers like, oh, this is going to be badass. This is going to be badass. <laughs> And it's just the opposite of that. It's pathetic and sad and kind of stupid. And the fact that it happens to a harmonica. Because that's the last like shot of this. As we're leading into the end. I don't know who scored this movie. I didn't bother looking. I probably still won't look because who cares? But this like climactic emotional moment is played out over solo harmonica. Yeah. So weird. Just it's so, so weird. Weird. It's so tonally off. It almost sounds like he's playing Amazing Grace. Whoever's, but it's not. It's not Amazing Grace. But it just hits that same sort of like. It reminded me a little bit of the end of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But not in a good no. way. No, no. But it's like that whole kind of just like quiet, contemplative harmonica theme. Ah, I, I, it just it made no sense. Like the score was basically whatever throughout this film it was basically a, a who cares. But then this choice just stood out, and they try to make it diegetic. I will say that they try to make it diegetic because like the there's like a holographic dude playing at the bar. And he's playing a harmonica song, so they try to make it justified in that way, but it just doesn't work. Because the movie hasn't done anything like that up until this point. No, no. 
like I said, the music is a huge nothing burger for 95% of the runtime. And then when it, when it is noticeable, it's like a, what? Human music. Human music for humans. Like, why did you do that? Why? <laughs> and then we're, we're back in the bar, right? Because in a movie like this, where the locations are just so minimal, we go back to where we began. So we're in the bar, and all of our main characters are there, because where else would they be? Bruce Willis is still alive. It's obviously just B-roll shot from the first time. He's wearing a slightly different jacket now, but not that different. <laughs> he has a moment where he sees his ex-wife again. And I've seen people online who say that this is evidence that his psychic link with the alien race is still active. I've seen people try to say that. That this is somehow like sequel bait. That Bruce Willis is still connected to these aliens through uh, their blood. And I was like, no. Like Locutus. Mm -mm. No, he's not Locutus of Borg. No, no, no. <laughs> it's more just he's regretful of the fact that he murdered his ex-wife, I think. I'm just, I'm just like really amazed people have thoughts about this. Movie. Yes, that's the shocking thing. The truly shocking thing is that people have tried like you, to analyze. The you saw this and you had an idea? Yeah, that's no idea. Like, that's outstanding. You know, truly proof that ideas are born anywhere. Well, like, all these characters are just at this bar listening to some nondescript politician talk about how, like, you know, the human forces won. And I guess that comes back to the idea that this was all supposed to be some kind of secret mission that they went on and nobody knew about it. And so, like, they're. Yeah, there's, there's the like, some Ender's heroes. Game kind of yeah. weird. Which which is totally underdeveloped and, and completely pointless. Right, because they're supposed to be like the heroes that no one knows that it was them, right? Like, okay, but... Whatever. No one cares. Why? I mean, why? No one cares. No one knows. So what difference is And why are we hiding that? Like, what? <sighs> is there a reason? It's just, it's, it's such a hodgepodge of ideas that never come together, but it's on a level that is just unheard of in filmmaking now. Unless it is... Like Lynn Kamazinski making werewolf movies in his backyard with his friends. Like that's this is that level of stuff, but with seemingly with investors. money and investors. It had investors. And a theatrical release. Like yeah. it would be different if like Anchor Bay bought this as part of a fifty movie deal and they put it on one of those eighty action films DVDs that you buy at Walmart out of the two dollar bin. But this is not that. This is probably going to be released on Blu-ray. It might even you be know released what? released on UHD. And people will probably buy it. And it just blows my mind. I can't believe it. You know it. what? This is really inspiring. This might be the most inspiring movie I've ever Perhaps. seen. Because I am now convinced that you and I can we, make Anybody it. can. We can all do it. We may have already made a movie. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Just like scroll through your phone, see what you've got, and we'll see if we can cut we'll something together. together. Get some investors. I mean, it's not too bad. I'll get Bruce Willis on the horn. I mean, apparently Saban International is out there just looking for projects, right? Saban, I love you anyway. I'm here for it. Hi, I'm Saban. We need your money. We can do it. We can make a movie. So I, there's really nothing else to say about this. It is a travesty of human ingenuity and filmmaking. It shouldn't exist, but it does. Uh, apparently there is a whole genre of these Bruce Willis directed DVD movies that we need to go find now so that we can yeah. revel in their, their terribleness. But again, this one, I think the real reason why people have, have struck on it is that it's a movie that is swinging way above its, its weight, right? Like yeah. this is, this is a 105 pound dude trying to knock out a heavyweight. 
And because I look at Bruce Willis's filmography, and I've never even heard of the other movies in this sort of no. quality pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, they they didn't even land on my radar, and I'm like a fan of Bruce Willis. This movie did though. Yes, this, this landed one rose above right in public consciousness, and I just want to understand. I just want to understand. There is a another one of these that he made with this team. Um, apparently the same writers, different director called Breach. That is kind of a little alien knockoff, you know, people on a colony ship who pick up aliens that, you know, try to kill them, something like that. Uh, I'm thinking I got to find that one now. Uh, Cause if it's anything like this, I, I just, I have to see it because of its terribleness. Like there's no way that it can be better than this. It's not going to be. I'm feeling like Mr. Plinkett when he was trying to show that girl the Star Wars DVD. <laughs> I didn't look at my I Star need Wars to show it to you. Yeah. Just watch it. <laughs> I just need I need other people to see this. Right. And tell me I'm not crazy. Yes. Please tell me that I'm not wrong. That this movie is just out of this world terrible. It's it's truly something. I I think the main reason why people would get mad about it though is that this is probably the most obvious Watch this because of the people who are in it. And I think this has the potential to make people really, really mad. Because when the because watching this, if you think this is a Bruce Willis movie, you're wrong. It's not. He's not in it. Neither is Frank Grillo, no. right? So the two people that are designed to get you in the door, they're barely present. And I guess this is just going to be a genre of film moving forward, right? Where it's like we have... Somebody who's in this movie for 30 minutes. I guess it's what kind of happened. Um, the movie Thunderpants. Have you ever seen that one? I have not. So it was a movie that the, the Ron Weasley kid made before he was Ron Weasley. Oh. And then after Harry Potter hit, they like re-released it because Ron Weasley was in it as like a side character. Right. Like he's, and then redid the cover. And then to redid the cover because he's, I mean, he's like Rupert a character Grant. in the movie, but he's not the main character. But if you look at the cover to that film, it's just got Ron Weasley's face on it, right? It's like, this is that. And it's it's Asylum-level quality, right? Sharknado-level quality. Atlantic Rim-level quality. But with a couple of people that you know. And it seems really, really deceptive. And I think that's why people are, are pissed. Because, you know, you, you but it worked. It like, but it's exactly what they wanted. Because it got you in the door. Got you to check it out to pay your three bucks on Amazon Prime Rentals or whatever it is, and and at the end of the day they don't care, and they think they made a movie that was worth your time, and that's probably the worst part of it is that they think they did a good job, and that's just bewildering. We did to it, me. guys? We Let's did go it. Home. And, we did and they it. Probably won't. They'll probably make money, like probably not an insubstantial amount because people are still gonna check it out because it's Bruce Willis and it's Frank Grillo, right? For 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then the rest of it is Costas Mandalore, Lachlan Monroe, and Pamela Anderson's kid. And if you're okay with that, then by all means, like just go to town. But I, I think a lot of people are going to, this is the type of movie that would just piss people off. Right. And then I guess that's well, it okay. Me off. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't infuriate me, but it certainly left me like bewildered. Just questions. I made a lot of faces. A lot of noises just and I just felt confused yeah just felt confused and afraid is this the strange new world of movies because I don't like it 
it might be. This might be the bold future of, of inexpensive filmmaking in America. I'm not ready. I think I think this is also a pandemic too. I mean, this, we've had such a dearth of films. This really feels upon feels like seizing upon a moment when people are looking for content, even though we've got just unbelievable amounts floating around out there. This feels like a movie where you're looking at it going like, I, I need something. I want something to watch. And, oh, this has got Bruce Willis in it? Okay, I'll check it out. Oh, God. Right? But yet, so maybe it's a bit of that. Maybe once things settle back down and the, the movie you know production machines roll back into to their full power, you know things like this will be relegated to the trash heap as they should be. Or the, the you know the two fifty bin at Walmart, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe this truly is a new class of filmmaking. the The asylum model of quick production, zero budget, with all of whatever budget you have going to like two names that you know you can sell it on. Right. It used to be so like the whole asylum model was we're gonna put out a movie that's titled close enough to the other one that if you're in a rental store you'll just grab it because you don't know the difference, right? Hey, well, yeah, you know, the idea is the other one would be out. You know, the movie that was exactly. popular would be, be there because everyone's rented it, and then their movie would be there. You know, if you want to watch something that's close enough. We're going to watch Transmorphers tonight, honey. It's it's not Transformers, yeah. it's Transmorphers. And, but now since those models are basically dead, rental stores don't exist, you can't get that kind of funding anymore. Now it's like, okay, well, we're going to make a legit movie that isn't also ran. That's basically like every other movie of its type that you've ever seen. But we're going to put a famous face on it so that when you are scrolling through Amazon Prime Video Rentals that just came out, you say, oh, Go new Bruce face. Willis movie? Poster looks pretty good. Kind of a sci-fi thing. Yeah, let's do it. And then, oh, oh. Right. So it, maybe it is just the modification of that style of 80s action also rands. Right. The thing that started during the VHS era. Oh, deadly whatever, you know, deadly snake, deadly eagle. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> and, and you just, it's monetizing, yeah. you know, it's, it's making this more profitable to different types of filmmakers, too. And, and I mean, I don't. I don't philosophically disagree. Like, that's where I'm at with this movie. And I think that's why it confuses me so much and why I wanted to talk about it is that I'm amazed that a movie like this gets made. I'm amazed that it has the funding that it does. But I'm also just amazed that... Positively amazed, in a good way, that there are filmmakers who are just making these things happen, sort of in spite of big Hollywood. Yeah, they're just knocking them out, man. I mean, like, that's the thing. But at the same time, the quality isn't there. I feel like in the 70s and the 80s, we got the quality of filmmaking. We had, you know, our Steven Spielberg. We had Francis Ford Coppola. We had all of those great independent filmmakers who were doing something different, and they were, like, contributing something. Mm -hmm. And they were still making quality films with very little money, and they were sort of you know, again, challenging that Hollywood studio system. Right. And I feel like we're, this is, this isn't doing that. No. It's, it's like it says it's doing that, you know, trying to wear an indie film skin suit, but it's not an indie film and it's not made with any sort of values of independent filmmaking or good filmmaking. Right. I don't, I don't feel like these people were trying to make a good movie. I feel like yeah, they were trying I to make a movie that would trick people into watching their movie. Maybe the director felt like he did a good job. That's fine. He, you know, 
it, it's a movie. It's on screen. It has effects and whatever. But this doesn't feel like a bunch of really passionate people trying to put together a cool product. It feels like a product that was put together by people who could execute on the product. Like like the influencer culture version of filmmaking. Yeah, that's not a bad way like to think we're, about it. We're gonna make we're gonna make this thing as content. It's like content generation. Yes, yes. This is this is content farm generation. Right? People want content. This is the kind of content we think that they want based on these other algorithms that we've looked at and previous successes that we might have had. Let's go. Right? Because Bruce Willis hasn't done a science fiction film in a long time. Right? So a lot of people might get excited because they're seeing Brian, you know, Bruce Willis in science fiction. Maybe this other movie they made Breach did okay and they were like, let's do it again. Right? Let's let's content farm it. Right? We just we need the content out there for people to look at. We don't care about its overall because it's quality not, or its it's not tickets. They're not they're not selling tickets no. to anything. That that model, like you said, it's gone. And the VHS, you know, home video rental thing that's gone now it's just clicks right mm -hmm. so how do you get clicks people click on bruce willis's face <laughs> yeah like it's enough right you know it's enough to get people in the door to invest the little bit of money that you need or to to get enough buzz that you know netflix offers you a decent deal or amazon prime video or whatever and that's really what it is these people made their money when when you know streaming platforms just said hey we'll put out your movie so they can walk away from this not even paying attention to the critical reception of this film they've already moved on i'm sure oh yeah no they're on to their next project i mean the director i read an interview with him on screen rant and he said he's already they're already in production on their next one right so it's like didn't even take time to process this one nope. you just you just keep generating right that video didn't work you do it again you make another one right your investment's slow and enough I, and that doesn't matter and I'm I'm sort of I like I said I'm 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 going back and forth between revulsion and admiration mm -hmm. because it's like I hate what you're doing because this is the result and it's bad but I do admire that someone's like ah, there's a dollar to be made here and I'm gonna make and I'm it. gonna make it it's like I yeah. I can't I can't be mad at you for just doing what a lot of people do but I I hate it yeah like I really this hate product it. that you've made I hate it. I, you know, it's, it, I hate it, but I'll defend your right to make it to my dying breath. Right? I use you, right? But I hate yeah. you. <laughs> it's it's really something special for that alone, and so I guess we'll we'll you know sort of wrap things up here. There's nothing else to say about this movie. There's no deep conversation to be had about what no. what worked and what didn't because nothing worked. It was all terrible. We've given this movie more of a stage than it deserves. Yeah, I mean, if if if. You know, you want to talk about like really great low budget films, then you go watch Primer, or or you go watch, you know, yeah. uh, um, and that's and that's exactly Shane it. Collard, I was you know, thinking of independent filmmakers yeah. who are doing things in science fiction that are truly exciting, and it's still happening. Mm -hmm. But you know, those people are doing it with love and care and time and effort, and this movie was just the absolute inverse of all of those <laughs> right. things. Yeah, it's just, it's a packaged product made for the content farms, get enough clicks to generate some income, and then you just move, you use that to roll right into the next project. So uh, I'm not, we're not going to do our one thing because there is no one thing that could fix this film. Everything is no. wrong. All of it's to bad. To fix this movie, you would have to not Start make Start over, movie. right? <laughs> Begin again. Try once more. Um, 
do something with it. I, I guess the one suggestion that I would give is just work within your lane, please. Like look at your budget, be realistic, execute on what you can accomplish rather than this pie in the sky dream. Have the dream, right? Build to the dream. Try and make that film, of course. But like find the scale and scope that actually works for what you can do and what you can accomplish for what your skill level is. Push yourself as hard as you can, but be realistic. And this movie doesn't do that. It swings for the stars and it misses all of the stars by millions of miles. It really didn't even make it out of orbit. No. <laughs> it's still on the ground. It cratered into yeah. the ground. It's it's a space. It's more of a weather in, balloon, in, really. In yeah, <laughs> it's just a disaster. But I guess from the recommendation side of things, as we said before, this is not a film to be recommended. I would not I would not wish this film on my greatest enemy uh, as as an entertaining proposition. I, I would I would tell them to avoid it at all costs. However, if you like us enjoy torturing yourself by watching bad cinema, right? If you grew up on a steady diet of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And if you've ever found yourself enjoying a Steven Seagal movie because it made you right. feel a little bit sick inside. And we're not talking about Under Siege, Steven Seagal here. We're talking about... We're talking about Above the Law. Yeah, we're talking about the late 2000s Steven Seagal. If you've ever watched one, Urban of those, Justice. You've ever watched one of those movies and been like, you know, that wasn't too bad, um, then you might find something here to, uh, to enjoy. And, you know, Bruce Willis gets like one speech that's just bewilderingly bad. And Frank Grillo gets to stand in a black room with a light on his face for 20 or 30 minutes. So if you're okay with that, maybe if you hate yourself, just just go ahead. ahead. It's, it's not, it'll definitely give you fodder to talk about at the water cooler with your buddies and be like, dude, do you want to see something terrible? But at the same time, I I don't want this movie to obtain additional notoriety because I think it needs to die a slow and painful death and and hopefully because inevitably what would happen if this if a movie like this gets gets too much notoriety for being terrible what will happen is the room effect yes where it will become good Mm -hmm. ironically good and then someone will take it too far and say it's unironically good and i'm just not okay with that i'm not okay with it we this is a movie that in 10 years there's going to be a think piece on medium about like you know cosmic sin wasn't that bad it actually was a genius (laughs) film (laughs) right like it's coming it's gonna happen because it happens to everything uh i watched this movie and you know what this made me this movie made me want to well, I did watch it, but this movie made me want to watch Fant Four Stick again, the Josh <laughs> Trank Fantastic Four movie, because the weird defense that comes out mm-hmm. on the internet of that—that's right, because that's what's that going to happen with this movie. Because Fantastic Four Stick is just as bad as this, but on a much larger scale, and there is a defense force for that movie now because it's so bad and so far out there, and this movie will get that treatment from someone at some point. They'll say like, oh, Bruce Willis's performance here isn't as bad as people said it was. No, it is. It is that bad. It it's is. Worse. It's worse. It was actually terrible. But here we are. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it there, dear listeners, and, and say, you know, this movie is out there. If you want to see it, you can absolutely find it in a, very, a variety of places. Um, but we're not going to recommend it unless you are a masochist yeah. and you just want to hurt yourself with with movies if 
This is on you. Yeah, we, we don't <laughs> want to be responsible for making people watch this. Um, it was enjoyable to talk about. It's been enjoyable to think about and, and think about how something like this can happen in 2020 or 2021 as it, as it is now. But man, uh, yeah, this is not a failure piece. This is just a piece of something. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a failure more than it's a piece, but it's still a piece of something. So we will leave you there. Uh, where can you be found on the social medias, Catherine? If people do want to come at you hard about cosmic sin. Yeah, come at me, please. We'll talk about it. Um, I can be found at Baskinator on Twitter. And, of course, I can be found at T Baskin on Twitter. And if you want to get both of us together, we are at fpeacetheater on twitter.com or failurepeace at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line. Uh, thanks for listening. It's been fun to talk and dunk on Cosmic Sin. Uh, I have a feeling that we may take a look at the other one from this set of producers, Breach, in the near future. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that next. I might need a break. I might need a rest period, yeah. some kind of refractory period where my body recovers before I subject it to such, need something intellectual. such torture again. Exactly. We'll find something else to, to sort of cleanse the palate. But uh, we'll come back to the universe of Bruce Willis bad uh, direct-to-video movies soon enough, I'm sure. But in any case, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>